Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Back like a bad habit on the 16th of May of 2022. It is time for episode 300 and whatever the F right here on Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you. From the capital, Estados Unidos, right here in Washington, D.C. Joined by the Viceroy of Connecticut. He's got a haircut straight from LFO, the band, in 1999. Chinese food also makes him sick. It's my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. What's up, B.C.? Luke, I love it. I love it when you dip into the 90s, Luke, like that. It makes me feel good on in my in my loinage right there. Thank you. It, just like MK, Luke, it's something unpredictable, but in the end feels right, so... I hope you have the show of your life today, Luke, because I'm ready. I'm fired up. Okay, look at me in that white crew neck right there from J. Crew. Oh God, wow! That Just, I wouldn't say that's prime BC, but you know that that guy's a finalist. Okay, finalist of prime BC. All right, BC. Speaking of uh, finals, man, there was a bunch of games over the weekend which were pretty cool, but we're not going to talk about those. We're going to talk about all the fights that happened. There was, of course, a UFC event, a Bellator London event, and then there was Charlo Castagna, which was. I don't know, pretty incredible, to put it mildly, and an amazing, amazing fight. So we'll get to all of those. Thumbs up on the video if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe as well if you are watching on YouTube. If you are listening on podcast platforms, give us a nice review on whatever platform it may be. Uh, I want to remind folks, if you want to reach the show, uh, morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to do that. Of course, if you had Showtime over the weekend, you got to watch Bellator, you got to watch Charlo Castaño, best place to do that is going to be at Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial if you like it, keep it. If not, do something else with your life. BC, I see you're wearing some of our fine merch, which folks can get at morningcombat.store. Yes, they can, Luke. And if you're watching us abroad, <clears throat> hope you get lucky, right? But no, if you really are... um. If flat rate international shipping is now a thing at morningcombat.store. So, you know, outfit your mates in the best damn combat sports wear you can find. Thank you. Yes, very, very good. Uh, BC, was your weekend good otherwise? Yeah, you know, it was very relaxing, Luke, okay? A lot of time spent outside in the backyard. It was, you know, spring's here. So, uh, you know, it, I, I think I have uh, sprung eternal myself, if you know what I mean, Luke. 
I don't, but it's probably some vague reference to your genitals. We are only four minutes into the show. It didn't take that long. PCL, <laughs> I, think, I mean, vague, uh, vague. Don't give me too much credit, Luke. It was very direct, okay? Okay, very direct. Uh, BC, I want to tell everyone that there's a product out there that I use every day. It's called Athletic Greens. I know you use it as well because I want more energy. I don't like taking a bunch of pills. It's pretty great, right? I mean, it's fantastic, and it's one scoop a day of this miracle powder into your water, into whatever drink you're looking for. I put it in shakes as well, Luke, and the thing that it does is uh, it tastes healthy. It makes you feel great. I use it literally every day. Uh, Let's see. You've got high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, start your day right. Tons of good stuff packed into this. And what does it do for you beyond making you feel good? How about it helps you with gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. And uh, it's not like it takes up a lot of room on your shelf, okay? We got travel packs, too, for when you're on the road. It's just a part of your lifestyle that, uh, you know, you add it, you'll see results. Uh, It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. You know, and you want to talk about the price, less than three bucks per day. That's called investing in your health, and it's certainly cheaper than your cold brew habit. Taking Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. I mean, start doing it now. And who else is doing it? How about the 7,000 people that have given Athletic Greens a five-star review? It's also trusted by the leading health experts. Yes, I'm talking about Tim Ferriss. Tim and uh, Michael Gervais, too. Shout out to both, Luke. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it even easier, how about this? Athletic Greens is going to give you, the listener, free a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and those five free travel packs that are essential in my life. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, BC, before we transition to our top five topics, I want to actually hand this over to you because you hosted the first one of these. We have a big announcement for the audience. So why don't you tell them, A, what the announcement is, and then B, who it involves for the first of these things. Take it away. Yes. We have been teasing for some time that Room Service Diaries, one of the favorite vehicles in MK history of our P1s, it's going to go under a new look. It's going to be something new with the same spirit of old. We, this week, Wednesday, during and in place of your normal morning combat episode, this Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on YouTube.com slash Morning Combat, we will debut episode one of Room Service Diaries, your new look interview franchise from the folks here at Malka CBS Showtime, we call it Morning Combat. Episodes one guest, guest uh, Luke, how about we stay in my home state here and, and look for royalty? And we're talking about the king himself, light heavyweight champion, Glover Teixeira. Yes, he's going to make that first title defense in Singapore in a few weeks, but we got him for 90 minutes or so on our couch, Luke. Yes, on our couch. So uh, why don't we throw to a little teaser of what you can expect this Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm always all about taking shit to the next level. And that's really what we're going to do when we're going to launch our interview series, Room Service Diaries. That's the couch 
that they fell into in uh, Get Out. What are you expecting out of this interview with Brian and Lou? I don't know, man. Just, um, just go and uh, get excited about it. You know? I'm ready, man. Yeah, let's do this. Oh, yeah. Glover, Luke Thomas, how are you? Try to resume that, yes. you know? Yeah. 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 But, yeah. But, dude, in Europe, they, in Europe, they all say Rodriguez. But, like, his name is, he, uh, like, voice. Voice yeah. Rodriguez, not voice. We're now 67 now. That looks Luke, pretty it seems awesome, like bro, I gotta admit. It, that was very well done by our team there. And it seems like everybody's got an interview pod these days, Luke, specifically. So we figured, why don't we just make the best one? Yeah, and it was great. I mean, Glover was ex ex extraordinarily candid and thoughtful and interesting. He tells you about all the good parts of his life, all the down parts, all the successes, all the failures, and all the in-between. And yeah. Um, it was eye-opening. It was it was really fantastic, actually. It's like when you when you create the foundation for these type of in-person, long-form interviews, you never know. It's based on the you know, it's based on the subject. Which direction would it go? These went into some very deep sort of like, damn, I respect this man in front of me sort of situations there that that mirror both his fight journey and of course his life journey to get to this point. So, uh, huge recommendations for everybody. Thanks to Glover as well. Uh, Wednesday, eleven a.m. Eastern. It is episode one of our new series in place of your regular morning combat. There you have it. I uh, cannot wait for that. 11 a.m. in the East, as BC said, on Wednesday. But for now, BC, let us start the show with our top five topics. Okay, we'll start with UFC. BC, this was a weird one. Um, it was a tale of two different rounds and then a round that we should just kind of throw out all together. Jan Blachowicz did get the win over Alexander Rakic and did look pretty good, especially in the first round. And I guess for as long as the third round lasted, Rakic having a pretty strong second round, but having a really bad injury. We're not exactly sure what the extent of it is and when he'll be back, but Rakic falling to the ground, grabbing his knee in pain. He was not hit in that knee. It just kind of buckled under the weight of movement. So Blahovich gets the win, BC. I guess my question is, what can you really take from this Blahovich win even though it ended so weirdly and, and, and so matter-of-factly. I was surprised, Luke, by how much, I, in the end, I could take from it. You know, I didn't watch this live because of the competing boxing match at the same time. Heard the result, assumed it was this abbreviated, like, oh, man, we were just getting going. And that certainly is true. Two very fun rounds. This looked like we were on our way potentially to something big. I mean, they were letting their hands go, but but also, you know, tons of strategy and technique. But here's what I learned in the end. That although this is just bad luck for Rakic and, you know, he's already vowed to come back and he's going to be scarier and better than he ever was. And no doubt, Luke, I think as long as he's not compromised by this injury moving forward, I think he's going to end up getting his title shot and proving to us how good he is. But what we learned that Jan Blahovic is still that dude. You know, that was not him against Glover Teixeira. We've talked about that many times. Lost the belt. It's always tough, especially given his age. Uh, to to bounce back against a killer who's looking to get his own title shot. And I thought he looked great. Yeah, he got that that stiff jab that cut him below his left eye to uh, early in the first round. And even though it was it was a pretty competitive fight striking wise, those leg kicks in particular, dude, it looked like he was chopping Rakic down. And it seemed also that when they did land big power shots, that Jans was uh, you know showing more damage or showing uh, to be harder potentially. Um, I learned everything that I needed to see that this guy 
could still win back this championship and that he's still the same dude, Luke. Luke, how about you? I mean, it's hard to know exactly how that fight would have gone because could Rakichev continue? I mean, again, injury notwithstanding, could he have continued to get the takedowns? Maybe won that way. Maybe there's some kind of opening up of a brawl in the fourth or fifth round or something like that. Because to your point, like they were throwing pretty actively, pretty consistently. This was not a, it was a technical fight, but it was not a reserved fight by any stretch of the imagination. But dude, I'm with you a little bit on this one. Like there was a lot I did like from Rakic. I've been high on Rakic for a long time. I really respect his game. His wrestling looked to be on point. His top control is good. Like if he gets you down... You know, there's a good chance you're probably going to lose that round. He keeps guys down once he gets it. And so in that second round, you saw a lot of evidence of that. And I also want to say that I thought that he was doing a little bit more on the feet to try and find... He wasn't being um, too reserved on the feet either. He was actually trying to land. But dude, to your point, Blahovich is still very, very, very tricky on the feet. He destroyed the lead left leg of... Rakic. It looked like he had been like hit with a pan that had been heated up first. So not only was there the impact of it, but there was this weird like bubbling that grew on the front of his left leg. It was terrible. And by, by Blahovic, uh, even though he was eating a lot of leg kicks, he was checking a lot of them. He didn't have nearly the same amount of damage. He did get cut over that eye. But this is the point I wanted to make. Rakic still seems like he does the majority of his best work with his boxing. And Blahovic simply denied him that. So on the one hand, I can so can very much understand Rakic's position, which was, hey, this fight was just getting started. It was pretty even. All true. All 100% true. But it also looked to me like Blahovich was in a rhythm, was feeling it, looked a lot better than he did the last time, even yep. though he was dealing with apparently a car being stolen and all kinds of illnesses and everything else. And his asshole, um, too, Luke. He, yeah, yeah he, had, he had some serious problems, apparently. I'm just trying to point out, like, dude, he looked like he was dialed in and ready to go and I agree with you. I think if he can, we'll see what happens with UFC 275 with Glover and Yuri. But if Glover wins that, to me, even though Glover kind of ran over Blahovich the first time, I don't know that I would expect that the second time. Yeah, and, and I like to see already that Glover, who were you know an interview who we interviewed, you can see that on Wednesday already tweeted out, and he doesn't tweet often, Luke. Something he told us during the interview, or at all, it seems. But he did tweet out that if Jan got that win against Rakic, and they mentioned on the broadcast that he would give him a title shot if he was able to get past Prohachka. And yeah, and it's I think it's deserving because this was a win technically, even though it was you know an injury, but it was also a win as we just mentioned. And Luke had this fully evolved into that brawl that you that you said it, you know it looked like it could be heading to i think it w- was going there because of the leg kicks and i think jan would even without the leg kicks i think if you stand and brawl with jan the, the the polish power kick your ass because it's enough technique it's good timing there's enough hand speed there uh despite his age like you i don't think that was a, the type of fight rackets was i think you know obviously you saw that he was gonna have to be more balanced but i think he was getting pushed into that war and i think the stoppage was potentially going to be there for Jan but uh either way I think we can all say this was a win yeah yeah dude I think he may you know he he I'd rather see him fight for the title off of this than have to run through Ankalaev also Luke you know what I'm saying let me stick with the fight for just a second how much improvement did you see in Rakic's game we knew his takedowns were good we knew he had some good striking but did you see what, what did you see I liked a lot of what I saw. In fact, I like the combinations that he threw early. They were hard. They were accurate. They, you know, they popped. I do think, though, that he was, I mean, obviously the leg strikes were a big part of it, but even separate from the leg strikes, when he got himself into exchanges with Jan, um, 
I don't think he could wear the damage as well. I think that it compromised him. I think that at times it slowed, you know, it forced him to, to shoot. And while he did have success getting the takedown, you know, he wasn't able to do too much with it. I like the well-balanced effort from him, but I think he's still figuring out the recipe, so to speak. So even though this, again, has potential to be a disastrous injury, de depending on the recovery and the severity of it, but if he comes back and is that same guy, I still think he's got stuff to add. And it's the kind of thing we said, you know, would he come out in this fight and and and, and drop the, the safe, boring label that sometimes he gets, whether it's fair or not, and, and let his shit go? For the most part, he did, and I liked a lot of what I saw, but I still don't think he's ready yet. I still think we got to see a little bit more. That's where I came down as well on this one. He's obviously a physically totally he's physically quite ready. Quite ready for the championship level. And I think his wrestling is ready for the championship level. But the thing that kind of got me and this is not like wrong. I don't I don't want to suggest that it is. The thing that I walked away with though is in the first round it was pretty even through the first half. I'd say Blahovich still got the better of it, but it wasn't like Rakic was out of it. And then as each minute kind of wore on, you began to see that like Blahovich was Pulling away is a strong word, but clearly being like the... To me, the first round was Blahovich's round, and it was uh, more true in the second half of the round than it was in the first half, uh, but true in both. And then in the second round, you get the takedowns. Here's the thing for me about this. It's like, dude, if things aren't going well for you on the feet, having something... And not that they were going super poorly, but again, that leg was getting torn up. But the point I'm trying to make is, going to the wrestling, having that secondary gear, that's a great thing to have. Please don't misunderstand me. In fact, it won him that round... And if the fight had kept going, it is at least quite conceivable he could have won him the fight. The point I'm trying to make, and I think it's what you honed in on, is he still has, he has not reached his potential yet. He has not really fully maximized his game yet. And the part that kind of got me was, while it's nice to have that ace in the hole of the wrestling, the part that I've been waiting to see catch up a little bit is the striking. And I did see some of that growth here. Obviously not enough because the fight got called short but due to the injury. But the point I'm trying to make is, I did not see quite as much growth in the striking. Not so much that he couldn't win this fight. I think that was still in play. But to like really win the title, to really be that guy in this division, no, I think there's still some work that has to get done. And his coaches probably know that. I'm sure he knows that as well. So while I did think he put in a very, very commendable effort, and again, won a clear round against Blahovich, it's the idea that the wrestling has kind of become his game when it, I don't know that it ever really fully was that way. And what I would want to see is, if he really wants to be a title contender, the striking is by no means bad. There's nothing bad about it. But it's not quite where it needs to be for it to match the the dominance that his wrestling brings to the equation. Absolutely. And he's so well-rounded that sometimes you can show warning track power across the board in each category when you're so well-rounded. That's why he, it's going to take him time to put it together, but when he gets it all together, he still has that opportunity to be fucking great. I mean, it's in him for sure. Luke, uh, I don't think I've put... Um, this fellow Rakic on the uh, the uh, tattoo truth chair, but do you like his aggressive thigh sort of ferocious animal matching tats that that creep out under the venom gear there? Well, he's his tattoo. I will say this about his tattoos: he's pretty consistent about them. They're all black and gray, which I kind of like. If you're going to go black and gray, like just stick with it. And one of the things he's very good at is picking. Um, he is very good about complementing human anatomy. So if you look at his tattoo sleeve, it goes all the way up and it covers the chest right along the pec line and then the back of the shoulder right along where the muscles grow. Like it kind of naturally fits on versus a lot of people with some of my bad tattoos, like the ones I have here and on my back a little bit, they're just kind of planted on top. They don't match human anatomy. So like, do I want those tattoos? No, they're not for me. They're not for me. But 
they are well placed, and so for that reason, and because there's a consistent artistic theme across them, I kind of I kind of dig them. To be honest with you, would you put your navel tattoo in the uh, good or bad category? Luke? Oh, bad. I haven't. Oh, bad. That's bad. Yeah, it's bad. All right. Um, it's not good. Uh, it's going to get covered up eventually. Do you know so. me calling it that has produced a, a bunch of just not ready for TV, very dirty military based jokes from people in the other armed services against you, Luke? Yeah, but who cares? They're they're losers. You think I give a fuck what an airman's opinion is of me, motherfucker? Your boot camp was six weeks, and you guys <laughs> sit on your fucking ass. What are you gonna say to me? Oh get, shit! Get, get fucked, loser. That's what. Yeah, I Yeah, you're say. not even uh, the Coast Guard is cooler than you. Yeah, right. Yeah, dude. The Coast Guard is significant. Coast Guard is dude. The Coast Guard's tough as shit. People don't people don't get that's some Connecticut shit, shit right there. That's why, Luke. Okay. Yeah, you think I give a shit what the Air Force has to say about me? Okay. Um. All right. But BC, you talked about Ankalaev. So here's how it's going to go. We have 275 light heavyweight contest, Glover Teixeira taking on Yuri Prohachka. We kind of have Ankalaev floating out there. But remember, his last fight against Santos, it was a win, but it was a dreadful win. So you've got Blahovich, former champ, Ankalaev, and then you have this other two. Would you like to see Blahovich fight Ankalaev? How do you see the title picture uh, working following UFC 275? That's what the, I said before we, we, we cut out there before uh, that, that I would rather Blahovich go back to the title. I think he, look, again, I learned what I learned from this fight. If you can take as much as I thought I did, I, I learned a lot. So I would rather that. Does Uncle I have, Uncle Auntie I have, have uh, Anthony Smith lined up? Is that a correct fact, Luke? I don't know if it's fully, I'll, I'll double check before I, I say I think that's in the stupid. International Fight Week card, right? I'm going to look right now. I'm going to look right now. If Ankalaev gets through that, he would be without a uh, a major reward. It could happen, Luke. It could very well happen. I think, though, UFC can go either way, and I don't think they get criticized either way because, uh, you know, a former champ going back in there in a rematch or the former champ going back in there against a Prohatska who just, you know, kicked the door in against Teixeira if it goes that way. Either way, Luke, I, I, could, I, I could see why that would be the – the stronger matchmaking choice. Not that Jan's a giant draw, but just I think that'd be the better direction right now. But let's see what Uncle Iov does, Luke. You never know. He may blow away Anthony Smith to a degree that we're like, oh shit, that guy has to have the next. This is why you watch the fights. I love this shit, Luke. Okay? I like how you I like how your your viewing of the potential future is only on Kaliev potentially blowing away Smith. And not the other way. Although I certainly I would grant that. Uncle no, Lyman no. Anthony Smith has been known to surprise me inside that cage, Luke. Okay, seriously, he's he's uh, he's well rounded and gritty, and 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 I would love to 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 meet with him personally, Luke, and talk about that. Uh, BC, to answer your question, no, it is not International Fight Week that Ankalaev has a potential uh, fight with Smith. It is, however, still in July, July thirtieth, UFC two seventy seven, Ankalaev versus Smith has been. Uh, uh, knowledge of the promotion's plans confirmed in MMA fighting. I don't know if it's official, but that's the way it's looking. So there you have it. Um, okay, so if you have that, and you have, yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, okay then, but OBC, hold on. We're not answering the question. If Ankalaev and Smith fight, and you have Blahovich, I'm not, like, who gets, you would, I mean, I know Blahovich is the former champion, but dude, if Ankalaev wins that, and it continues what is basically like, not an undefeated streak, but it's been one since the Paul Craig mishap, or whatever you want to call that, Dude, wouldn't he be your runaway number one candidate? It would depend how, how you know, if he blows away Anthony Smith and blows your doors in, he he easily could. I think, though, 
knowing UFC's matchmaking history, they would run the former champ right back in. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, they and, might. and make I mean, him have last, to wait once yeah. more. Yeah, but we'll and, see. and also, I don't know how you would else do it because it, you wouldn't have Blahovich fight the winner of Smith and Ankalaev. It would be like... like Blahovich would get it, and then the winner of that would get it. They wouldn't meet again, right? There would, there were, you wouldn't have that. So, um, okay, fair enough. Any other thoughts on the main event? Well, this division, which is in transition, of course, and these names aren't the, you know, the the household known across the board. But dude, this top five are all hammers right now at light heavyweight. How many of them do you think could beat John Jones at two hundred five right now? Well, first of all, I thought Reyes beat him. To be clear about that, I, see, I one, agree. Again, I've said it before. So one time I've, I've scored it for him. So Glover probably not. Blahovich, no, because of the wrestling. Uh, Prohachka is a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that one. Prohachka is a weird one. Rakic. You know who Rakic is? Not. Rakic is the kind of guy that John Jones could leave the back door open to and lose yeah. three two. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. See that one would be tough. Ankalaev, I think, beats him. Uncle Iev, I think, beats him. Oh, so and you're so you're that high on, on old Uncle Iev. You're you're real high. Yeah, dude, he's real good. He's real good. Uh, I don't think that the Santos fight was a great demonstration of his to bring up the term back upper bound abilities in this case. I thought it was a very you know I thought it was actually more of the 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 middle to last slash lower end of his game. Um, and so for that reason, I do I I think he beats John Jones at at two oh five. Now who knows? I mean, Jones could come back at and heavyweight and be like completely rejuvenated and whatnot. I don't know. I, I'm a little skeptical he's going to come back and not be good, but just be the dominating force that he was. Um, but yeah, I think Ankalaev beats him for sure. Luke, are I we like that. leaving money on the table by not having RJ make upper bound limits MK merch t-shirts, Luke? You're better. You have a better read on that stuff than I do, but probably, probably all the little stupid catchphrases that we we have on the show. We should probably monetize those if we can. Not that we see a dime of it, but certainly Yo, someone RJ. else does. Let's make money together. All right, right, let's make money. All right, BC, point number two. Let's move to it now. We stay with the UFC card. I'm going to read a list of names. These are all winners. I want you to tell me which of these winners on Saturday at the UFC event had the biggest of the wins. So, these again, these are all winners. Ryan Spann, Tatsuro Tyra, who made his UFC debut, Michael Johnson, or who beat Alain Patrick or Virna Janjiroba, who beat uh, uh, Angela Hill. What do you think? Yes. Um, it, it's almost weird to answer it this way, but in a low-level way, the stakes were super high for Michael Johnson. So right. for That's him to come out... That's the only answer here. It's the only answer. Yeah. Oh, see, I looked at it more as sort of the hipster potential best answer, but kind of curving in from the outside. You're saying, no, it's obvious. Well, either way, Luke, th- I mean, this was a return to form. And this is a uh, such a dangerous time to be in when you've lost, you know, four in a row, and you, and your win loss record over the last five six years is 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 real bad. Yet you're always dangerous. Yet you tend to always find a way to come up short, and that's sort of been Michael Johnson's run. And this just looked fresher. Pinpoint the power is obviously still there. I mean, look, that first power shot he landed sort of changed the tenor of that fight right away. And, you know, obviously it's weird to have a guy with basically a 500 record who has three or four wins that, you know, any Hall of Famer would want on the resume. And he has those, but this looked like he could buy himself some time. Like this looked like he may have one more run in him. And what does that run mean? If, if it's just a run of being a tough out against big names, even that, you know, is something there. But 
there's no talk after this in my mind of, okay, th- you know, this guy could be B- BKFC tomorrow. Um, I think, Luke, he could have one of those late career Jeremy Stevens type runs, you know, where you kind of put it together for three, four fights. I saw that spark in him. Who knows, Luke, but I saw that spark. Dude, I completely agree. I mean, listen to these names of who he has beaten in the UFC, okay? He's beaten Tony Ferguson, Danny Castillo, who, for folks who may not know, was a very good fighter. I have Team Alpha Male and is now a coach over there. He beat Joe Lazan, Gleason Tebow, Melvin Gillard, Edson Bar- Bar- Barboza. By the way, those four in a fucking row. And he beat Melvin Gillard in 2014, which was still a late stage with Melvin Gillard in terms of being good, but you get the idea. Dustin Poirier, Andre Feely, Artem Lobov, and now Alan Patrick. Dude, those are like, those are all super legitimate wins. But then you look at the losses, and of course, they add up as well. And Miles Jury, and Reza Madadi, and Nate Diaz, and Benil Dariush. And then he lost three in a row to Nurmagomedov, Gaethje, Elkins. Okay, fair enough. It's the last one that made you lose confidence, right? The last losing streak, because it was Josh Emmett, who's very good. But then it was Stevie Ray, who I don't even think is in the UFC anymore. I think he's over in Bellator. Tiago Moises, and then Clay Guida back in 2021, very late stage. Clay Guida, and you thought, okay, well, that's got to be the end for Michael Johnson. Folks have asked, like, how can his career be so up and down, so weird in this particular way? The answer is, dude, like, here's the truth about Michael Johnson. His upper, to go back to it, his when he's at his best, dude, and he's firing with the hand speed, and he's moving with his phenomenal footwork, and he's in and out of range, and he's changing angles on you. Yeah, dude, he'll light anybody on fire. Go look at that Dustin Poirier fight. How did he beat Dustin Poirier? Poirier led with an uppercut, and Michael Johnson reacted just like that, fired a hook, and knocked him out. He was just incredible like that. You can't make mistakes against uh, Michael Johnson in that particular way. On the other hand, BC, even Alon Patrick was able to rock him in this fight a couple of times. He got him kind of wobbly there a little bit. It wasn't like he served it up for him, no problem. But then how did Michael Johnson win? Four-punch combination, off an angle change, got it, dropped it, two hammer fists, closed the show. Dude, Michael Johnson, like, the thing about him that's so amazing is his offense is very, very, very good. But his defense just has, it carries with it a lot of problems. It just carries with it a lot of weight. And so it was hard to know which one you're going to get fight to fight. The four in a row told you that maybe this was kind of the end of it. This was a huge win for Michael Johnson, rallying past being rocked, getting a clear and concise finish, reminding people what he can do when he's really dealing out there. I don't know if this proves that his problems are behind him, BC, which I think is a separate question, but in terms of the, to your point, the magnitude of this win, man, five in a row is usually walking papers in the UFC. Not for everyone, not all the time, but usually this was a monster win by him. Yeah, that would, no, seriously, would have been BKFC on line one had he not won this, and yet it wasn't just the knockout. He looked fluid throughout, which was the thing. Luke, do you think that the stigma of going, you know, from being cut by the UFC directly to BKFC on the last stop in the desert uh, is the equivalent of, like, finding out your buddy's new girlfriend used to strip? Does it still have that, like, level? I don't even understand that. Your buddy's new girlfriend used to strip. Why would you care? Well, maybe you're a less judgmental person than most, or maybe that bit of news could have excited <laughs> like, you. I, it's maybe like, dude, it why would I even care what my buddy's girlfriend used to do? Uh, you know, well, he, you're like, is she still working now? That's the question. It's like, yeah. BC, you used to work at, you know, the worst places on earth. I haven't held that against you. I've editorially married you. You know what okay, I'm saying? Okay. So what stigma is what Luke is ultimately but, saying? But BC, um, what do you make of that idea, though, that like Michael Johnson has a very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of game? His offense yes. is phenomenal, but his defense just keeps getting him in trouble, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's and it's not like, you know, I always try to like boxing Amir Khan equivalent. It's not like, you know, it's because of his chin. He just finds a way to lose or isn't well-rounded enough or focused enough or whatever it was that that against really good competition or now in the last most recent uh, lost streak, as you mentioned, not so elite competition. Um, you know, sometimes guys hit these ruts. The, pro- the thing is, a lot of times guys don't recover from these ruts and then they're fighting in the carnival tent with no gloves on and that happens. But uh, good to see him back. Uh, fun guy at all times. But Luke, who else on that list do you think is, is in this conversation that jumped through your screen from this card? I mean, this is a tough one, right? Because Ryan Spann, he got mounted, got out of it, got taken down, got out of it, and then threw on a triangle, or it's not a triangle, excuse me, a guillotine on an overzealous opponent in the way that Kute Laba, we have known him to be. So it's a very solid win. I, just for me, it doesn't match up to what Michael Johnson did. Tetsuro Tyra had a very, I would say, good performance. But it was his UFC debut. This is not the same kind of stakes overall, though he showed pretty strong overall ability. And then Genji Roba, like, dude, I really respect. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Angela Hill, and I think she's been robbed. Not robbed, but, you know, the judges didn't get it right a couple of times in her career, and I think it's affected her record. So that's a super solid win by her. And, you know, Angela Hill has tightened up some of the, the defensive liabilities in the grappling department that she once had. Like, Genji Roba had to earn it. At the same time, though... Um, you know, just with the with the stakes that Michael Johnson was facing here, it's just hard to put that on the same level as him. That's where I come down on those yeah. names. Do you disagree? No, I agree with you on that one. Uh, I wanted to actually add to this conversation, just shout out everything surrounding that Chukagian uh, Hibas fight. Because, Luke, I remember sure. questioning the, why are we making this fight again? But in the end, not only was it a really fun fight and worth your time, but I really love how both fighters kind of looked coming out of it. It's like Chukagian, you know, she just won't go away and she got the new deal and she's won what like four in a row against elite names and she's still number one ranked. And you know, this was a, a fun fight and aggressive and, and a hard fought one. And she fought an action style, which she doesn't normally want to do or typically do. And you know, she showed that her technique, her timing was the difference. And she probably does get back into that Valentina conversation, even though, you know, there wasn't anything to watch in their meeting, but it's it's going to be hard to deny her. On the other side, you kind of you know you could you could have questioned coming in why Hebas did this. Was it an opportunistic sort of one off? Hey, if I could beat the number one fighter, I could suddenly be right there for a title shot. That from that standpoint, I have a lot of respect that they took this fight and that she emptied it and went for it in the way she did. But Luke, unfortunately, because I love Amanda Hebas, I learned that she's got to really tighten up some elite parts of her game that are not elite. Like she's got to tighten up the defense and, and they mentioned it on the broadcast, you know, Chukagian's shots were just so much, uh, just better technique, you know, right to the point, A to B. He boss can, can be moving, opening up her guard. She can loop in shots. I think it's still there in either division for he boss to be someone and to be someone big, maybe, but she's farther away than I think I realized. And this fight really exposed that to me, although it's her moving up in weight and sort of, right. you know, going for it. And also her father was apparently saying she had, Here's the thing, like, I'm not saying that he's wrong, but, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Did her dad not say that she had a full biceps tear in one of her arms and still fought the entire time? I didn't hear that. um, Let me double-check that. That could be a big part of it, and I also, I don't want to miss that it was a split decision and that there's a lot of people that thought he boss won. I think you can make an argument, but I guess my point is, even though this would have been a monster win and could have put he boss in position for a title shot at 125, I can see how great she has the potential to be. I don't know if she gets there though, Luke, because 
She got pieced up at, and, and you know in key moments in this fight. Um. Okay. So I mean, listen. I'm no medical doctor, but apparently her father says she suffered a total rupture of the biceps tendon. Wow. Um, well, here's the thing about that. Like, I, again, dude, I'm not a doctor. I have no idea if that is true at all. Please, like, let's see whatever the doctor has to say about that. And I'm also not saying she didn't have an injury. Here's the only thing I would say about that. I've seen a lot of bicep tears and, like, what it does to someone. Matt Sarah has that, where it completely misshapes the bicep uh, because you get a tear here. The bicep tendon is that one, that little, that, the very hard one, right, the crook of your elbow or in the center of it where you bend. And if that tears, the whole muscle comes up a little bit because there's literally nothing holding it to the bone. Her arms look normal. So I don't know if it was like a partial tear, in which case, by the way, would, would still be a very commendable effort. Or I just don't know what I'm talking about, which is also quite possible. I'm just saying, like, I've seen a bunch of them and it's very obviously different. It looks malformed. Her arms do not look malformed, whatever that is worth. Yeah, interesting. That could certainly play a big role in it. And look, I mean, she fought a gritty effort. You know, I just, it's uh, got some things to fix, but we'll give her time. I mean, look, do you, do you agree, though, that, like, there's something about Chukagian? Maybe it's the fact that she went to decision so often, but it's like no one really wants her to get back in this position, but she's here, Luke. And Dude, this she's a-, a problem for the UFC. Do listen to her wins. She has wins over Lauren Murphy, Irene Aldana, uh, let's see, Mara Romero Borella. I don't know how you pronounce her name because she's Italian, I think. Whatever. Alexis Davis, Joanne Calderwood, Jennifer Maya, Antonina Shevchenko, Cynthia Calvillo, Vivian Arujao, Jennifer Maya again, and then Amanda Hebos. Granted, this one was a split. Almost all of these are splits. Uh, let's see. Or decisions, excuse me. Yeah, in fact, I don't know if she has a UFC stoppage on her record, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah, she does not, I don't think. So, to that point, that's why people aren't necessarily high on her, but BC... Is here's the basic question: Is she capable of beating routinely op, uh, elite opposition? Yes, yes, she is. She matter of factly is. The record is not ambiguous in that regard. The record doesn't say that she's the very best in this weight class, but it does say she is a fucking handful for basically everybody yeah. else. So it's you has got to figure out what to do with that. It's definitely the decisions, and I think the other part of it is like for somebody who's proving to be elite herself because she's beating everyone else who's trying to become elite. She, we don't give her a chance against Valentina. And that's also, you know, rough time to be climbing the ladder when you have an all-time great ahead of you. Like, Valentina's freaking amazing. But, Luke, she doesn't have a path to victory, like, at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not even in ways no. that, like, Jennifer Maya competed or that Andrade, you know, we thought could have, although she got demolished. Like, I, I don't think you can really give Chukagian, you know, much of a chance against her is that being too harsh luke i mean no, I, I, just... I don't think it is dude it's like okay so this one was a fight of the night because this was a great fight so you you like that she's upping the ante a little bit but it's like but okay so since she lost since she lost to uh valentina she beat antonina which i'm sure broke your heart then she got tko'd inside of a round by jessica Andrade. And then, of course, she beats uh, Cynthia, Vivian, Jennifer, and then Amanda Hebos most recently. So, dude, those are like a that's a super solid four fight win streak that she's on. But it's like, what in the course of that told you things would be different the next time with Valentina? I'm not saying that it wouldn't be, but I I personally didn't see anything that would make me believe a second fight would go a whole lot differently if if you didn't. If uh, Valentina was so dominant that they said, okay, instead of defending your title against one. There's going to be three fighters. It's going to be Calvi. I'm mean, sorry. It's going to be uh, Jessica I, Lauren Murphy, and Chukagian, and they each fight one round against uh, Valentina. And if they get finished, they just go to the next round of the next opponent. 
Does uh, Valentina, Valentina go 3-0 and that night, Luke? Probably. Probably. I think she's just that much better than all of them, which is, which is crazy because those other women are great, but uh, or, or good enough anyway. And um, no, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think Valentina... I, I, I mean, I think it is possible for a number one contender to take a round from her, maybe even two, if it goes to a decision. That's it. That's the most I could grant anyone else in that division at this present time. It's crazy that we're saying that because we just watched Pena upset Nunes in a way that, like, dude, of any yeah, scenario. Dude, Shevchenko is so much more careful than... No, I know. But, like, in any yeah. scenario, if you were like, oh, yeah, Pena's going to pull the upset and she's going to stand and brawl with Amanda until Amanda, you know, goes down and, and succumbs and kind of just taps. Um, no, I never would have believed that. But, yes, I think Valentina is just a little bit different. Damn. She, I mean, I don't know. People hate goat debates. Valentina may end up the goat is one, one day is all I'm saying, Luke, okay? Fair enough. Um, all right, BC, let's move to point number three here. Now, this was a weird one. I, I didn't hate this as much as everybody else did. Maybe it's because I've been high on Logan Storley for a little bit longer than some folks, but Michael Venom Page and Logan Storley fought in the main event of Bellator London. This was on Showtime. On Friday afternoon, Logan Storley wins. Now, of course, what this means is he'll have an eventual rematch with Yaroslav Amosov, who is the reigning welterweight champion. But there's some dispute about this, BC, because Bellator president Scott Coker afterwards saying, well, I actually thought MVP should have won because, yes, Storley had much better wrestling. About that, there is no debate. But the argument would be that he didn't do enough ground and pound or you know positional advancement with the ground and pound to really make it count. Do you agree with Scott Coker? Is MVP the actual rightful winner of this contest? Yeah, he is, Luke. And, I, and I'm and i somebody who, it took a while for me to come around on that. And what do I mean by that? I was somebody who comes from boxing and we're kind of judging MMA fights with a boxing mindset where, where some of these categories are more even and you're looking at sort of five points of discussion rather than a descending order with aggression and damage as your, you know, number one focuses. And in, in that regard, yes, MVP should have won this fight. Coker's right. Aaron Bronstetter and Sean Sheehan and everybody else on Twitter who's going nuts about it, they're right. They're right. I came around. I realize it now too. Um, MVP did enough in the beginning of most of these rounds to have that argument because when your boy Logan Storley took him down and it was the right strategic move, but there was just no intention to inflict damage. And sometimes, Luke, people just fill activity, whether they're on the top or bottom, just to show the judges, look, I'm doing something. There wasn't even that. You know, I know that he was trying to advance positions to set that up. I I, I get that he's not just out there thinking lay and pray is the only way, but it got lay and pray-ish, and we are on the title level here. So the, the this disparity that we have in, in rule changes in MMA and the way it leads to judging. And, you know, I finally stopped being ignorant and came around. Like, we got to get every commission aligned and every judge's mind and training aligned and even those in the media and fan subset as well. Because, you know, I never wanted to agree with it, but they're right. Logan Stoley did shit with the position he got, Luke. You can't win a, you can't win a fight on that, let alone the well, championship. I don't, I don't think he did shit, but I would agree that he didn't do enough. The fact that he, the argument that he did nothing is not quite true. I mean, you could argue MVP was busier on the bottom offensively than than Logan was with that position. Maybe in certain rounds. Um, Except for round five. Logan was good in round five. Aggressive, yes. middle of the cage, intention with the ground and pound. There's no debate over that round. 
Right. That one was a good round. And round four was clearly MVP's round. It's the first three where you're like, well, which way would this go? Now, I'm I'm going to like Scott Coker's in an unenviable position because Dana gets killed for this, too. But I don't know what the right answer is supposed to be. Like, what do you want from the promoter? Do you want the promoter to back the guy, the hometown guy, and just take his, you know, take his side and then promote it? Or do you want the promoter to be honest? Now, in this case, the, the two could be aligned or depending on one's perspective, they could be not aligned. But like, what do you want from a promoter when the wrong guy wins? What, what's the right answer for honesty. what they should do? You want honesty. It's just you, you typically assume you're not going to get it because promoters are, you know, professional used car salesmen and their whole setup of everything ca- has to be calculated and with the intention of selling and, and, you know, and attracting attention and all that. But I think why people tend to really like Scott Coker is because for the most part, you feel like you're getting honesty. And I think this was just him being honest. I don't think this was, well, corporately, we would have preferred, you know, MVP to have one and then we can do MVP Amosov and it'd be a big deal. No, I think he was just being honest. And I think those are the the moments that people just chase from Dana and so rarely ever get, Luke. Okay, so there's two big stories here as far as I can tell. One is the scoring, and I agree that in general the positional control of Storley was admirable, but insufficient by itself or with whatever, you know, fairly minimal ground and pound he was able to get. Um, I don't know if I would give all three of the first rounds to MVP. I'd have to go back and look, but certainly I would I I, I grant that there were three rounds for him there and and that should be quite clear. So that's one part of the story. But BC, people are missing the second part of the story, which is I hope you dullards out there can learn to appreciate Israel Adesanya after this. Different organization, different weight class. But look at what he does. Two significant differences. Number one, his ability to break off the fence and reset the fight in the in the middle of the cage to make it a striking contest again is, again, different fighters, different organizations, different worlds but vastly superior to MVP's ability to do that, number one. Number two, even if he gets taken down, his threat off of his back with either sweeps or uh, attacks from submissions either creates space or he gets on top or whatever the case may be. He is so much more dynamic in these positions. I know everyone wants to make the the story about Logan Storley didn't do enough. Fine, I wouldn't even disagree with you. He didn't really do enough, but okay, it is what it is. The other part of the story, though, is that MVP, this was his, what, 21st or 22nd MMA fight? And BC, I think it's pretty clear, as we said on Friday, that there is still a reputation that I don't think fits him because he has vastly improved since the days where he was fighting nobodies he could easily beat. Like, he gave, he, he, he arguably beat Logan Storley, who is a very, very good fighter. I think that should be recognized. If you're complaining about the scoring, what you're saying is MVP is better than this guy and that other guy is extremely good. So that whole can crusher thing, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I just don't think it represents the reality now. But even with that, BC, I hope people can look at the UFC middleweight champion who has a very similar frame and gets attacked in very similar kinds of ways. Look at the difference of what he is able to do to extricate himself or weaponize the position in ways that MVP, who is as good as anybody else in that welterweight division, simply cannot do. That, to me, is somewhat being lost a little bit here. While the spirit of what you're saying in the end is right, you're right. I mean, we're not comparing MVP and Adesanya and, and the points you're making on what Adesanya has done to separate himself in some of these situations He's grown and learned from it, but he also had to learn from it, Luke, in my opinion, because 
Adesanya left, you know, said to the judges against Romero, here's my art project, judge it all you want. Decide whether I'm keeping this title Dude, or even not. even then, like, like, people people disregard the leg kicks. Like, MVP doesn't, he leg kicks a little no, no, bit. No, no, but the, if you, your point is Adesanya versus MVP, you win the debate. But the Adesanya argument still had some holes. I wanted to point that out. And I think that why I need to point it out is because that's exactly what MVP did in this fight, and that upset me. He did what I said I saw Adesanya do against Romero, which is... Look, it's the title fight. It's the biggest fight of your life. You can't leave no doubt. And I know, well, BC, how do you say that? He's getting taken down. He can't get up. Okay, I, I get that. I get the obstacle he was against. But even in the starts of the fourth and fifth, and I know this is why people make the argument for open scoring so that at least the fighters can know. And I'm saying, hold on. I still want my entertainment and the suspense and the unknown. But shouldn't the fighter also realize the stakes and realize what he needs to do to prevent... This from happening where he loses such a close decision. I didn't love that overall lack of urgency. I know that some of that is just his style. You know, it's like, I'm going to do my art project and it's up to you to decipher if you can understand it. We, I get mad at some Cuban boxers sometimes who are so beautiful, but they don't put the pressure on with it. I just, I, as much as I thought Paige should have won, even if he had won, I still think we would have come out of this fight going, I don't know if we really learned everything. I'll just say this too, as like a general rule. If you really want to win at the elite level, and I would consider MVP and Logan Storley elite fighters. You can say wherever they would fall in the UFC's welterweight division, but they're good. They would beat good fighters in that division somewhere along the line. You need more than one way to win. You need more than one way to win. I've knocked UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya for that a little bit, but he is able to make it work, especially at middleweight, obviously where he's undefeated, by virtue of these facts that I have brought up. He has excellent takedown defense for the most part, certainly today. He can extricate himself off the fence. He has good clinch breaking. And then underneath, he has good guard attacks and sweeps and whatnot. Like, he really gets busy with that. And so you can see that that has weaponized these other positions that MVP has not. But Logan Storley was able to, like, strike his way through Neiman Gracie. That was winning a different way, and he sort of wrestled his way here, for the elite fighters out there, you should really pay attention to this. Who is able to win a fight genuinely, genuinely, in multiple different ways? This is why Charles Oliveira is such a fucking threat, BC. Right? We're talking about different fighter, different organization. But, again, it goes back to it. He can beat you anywhere on the floor for the most part. I mean, we'll see about that. But, you know, certainly he is very gifted there. On the feet now is very gifted. In the clinch is very gifted. Dude, he's just a complete offensive machine in all these dimensions. And you're seeing now today, BC, very good fighters, elite ones, guys able to get very far up the list, but they've only really got one way to win. The guys who are going to separate themselves from the pack are going to be the guys who are the ladies who have mo genuinely multiple ways to win a fight against even other elite opposition. And I think if they're missing that, they're going to have some problems. Although you could make that argument about Logan Storley. In this I was case just going to make that argument. I was going to put him under that same microscope and say that, that I think your breakdown is, is, is perfect. In regards to Storley, though, um, was it a case of not having that second way to win, or was it a case in your eyes, not mine, in your eyes, of Storley looking at the equation in front of him, if he stood and trade with MVP and he did get pieced up enough to get the feel of what's coming, that it would, you know, he wouldn't have a chance to win the title. So was this just the, the smart, strategic way to go, even if, if I thought he didn't do anything on top? Uh I, I wonder, that could be, that could be. I also wonder, like, the Neiman Gracie fight was pretty brutal and it was not that long ago. I wonder if he's still feeling the effects of it a little bit, like how brutal it was and how long it was and how difficult 
and how many times he had to kind of dig deep and like, you know, like you can't do that all the time. Those are special moments for a reason. You can't just be automatic with it. I kind of wonder if he was feeling, because this this was not the fight that they had scheduled. We all sort of know, and, uh, you know, Amosov was supposed to be the guy, but um, I wonder if he's, I wonder if there's a little bit of, I'll say this, was there a little bit of Neiman Gracie brutality of that fight hangover a little bit? I kind of wonder about that. Like, I'm going to do just enough of what I need to win yeah. by virtue of how MVP fights. And also, like, maybe he was still feeling a little bit. It's hard to say. We'd have well, to ask him. Well, the bad news but- is, and this isn't me hating on Logan Sorley. I love the guy. But the bad news is, you know, the, the difficulty of the striking in the opponents you face will get a lot worse than Gracie, you know, for the most part from here on out. Although he fought <laughs> Amosov like nobody has before. So if our reward for all this is the Amosov rematch, then, then Luke, that's fantastic. I still think MVP can regroup, get himself back into a second title opportunity. But, um, you know, this is still going to be a very fun road because their first match, as we gloat about all the time and say, I mean, it's one of the best fights in Bellator history for a damn reason. I'm excited just in in principle about what this rematch could be because when Amosov does come back, you know, to just assume that, you know what I mean, you transition from the front lines back to the fight game, it's just going to be, you know, with ease, it, it would be ignorant. Who knows the time frame, you know, on, on making that transition back and the mental, you know, uh, journey of that as well. So um, I hope we get it soon, but, you know, I hope the, I hope it, Luke, um, you know, so this is Christmas. War is over. Okay, Luke, please. Well, All right? uh, on, last thing on this though, like I remember watching the Amosov fight with Storley when it happened it was super close. Please don't misunderstand me. It was very close. But I remember when the round, when the fight was over, because I was kind of thinking like, oh, Storley, like, you know, four-time All-American, he's going to win this. Dude, Amosov beat him there. You know what I mean? Amosov, I, when, I remember when the, I, I think what I, way I had it was I had Amosov winning the first, Storley winning the second, and then Amosov winning the third. And it was like, because it was only a three-round fight, this is before they had made all the changes or wherever it took place in the card. It was only a three-round contest. But the point I'm trying to make is, I remember when that fight was over, I'm like, I think Storley got out-wrestled. Dude, this is the point I'm trying to make. Like, we'll see what happens with Amosov coming back from the front lines and what this all does for his development. But the reality from the first fight was, like, dude, you, like, the, the wrestling wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Amosov was able to match it and then slightly exceed it through the course of three rounds. This is what I mean in going back to you need, you like, it's very easy. It's very, very easy for me to say... You know, you need multiple ways to win a fight because if you're thinking about building your game, it, it actually makes a lot of sense to kind of drill down on one, you know, major aspect with all the little intricacies therein, like just standing or you know, just uh, grappling or whatever, and then to build a game in that way. But the reality is, with, with Habib, for example, it was just one way in the sense of it was just mostly grappling, but he had submission threats and he had ground and pound threats. So there actually was a couple of different ways going on there. With with Logan Storley, wrestling is everything that he does, but like you can't rely on that either against Amosov because the first time they met, Amosov was it was slight, but he was the better one of the two. It's not like that's an ace in the hole that's going to be here for them for him anyway. No, I agree with that. Indeed, Amosov is a badass dude, an absolute badass. Um, we'll see, Luke, going forward. Uh, is there anything anything else in this card that we missed? I mean, there was some bangers. Shout out to Fabian Edwards getting that. Getting that big Leon's brother getting that big knockout, Luke. That yeah, I was gonna the- say that was it. Fabian or Fabian Edwards just bulldozing off the clinch break. Leo to Machida hitting him with a vicious elbow in the clinch. Now I gotta pull up Machida's record here. I don't have it just right now. I'll find it in a second. But um, here, actually, I'll pull it up now. Uh, Leo to Machida is, by the way, forty three years old. He was born before me, if you can believe that. That's how old he is. Um, and he's on a four fight losing streak. He lost a split to Gegard. No big deal. 
then lost a split to Phil. Okay, no big deal. Then lost a decision to Ryan Bader, which, okay, three in a row is not great, but not the end of the world. It was a split decision. No, it was unanimous with Bader. It was unanimous. Okay, I'll Uh, take the L there, I guess. And then he gets crushed by Fabian Edwards. Now, Fabian Edwards... I admit on Friday's show, I I underrated him a bit. He That was really great what he showed, and I will adjust my opinion accordingly based on what he turned in. But four fights in a row, BC, 43 years old. You could say, oh, he wasn't getting blown out before, but now he gets blown out. What, do you, yeah. what, 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 what are you supposed to make of that? No, it, I mean, it is what it is. The age and the consecutive defeats, it, it you know, it's against this competition, it's over. And it might be over overall. It probably should be. But, you know, this was about Edwards bouncing back from those two defeats and and reestablishing himself as a tough out. And, um, you know, it was good to see that. It was good to see the 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 emotion come out of him afterwards and hearing him talk about the journey to get back here. But this was a big win. And and even if it came against the guy who's who's not only on the way out, this is probably it, Luke. It's still, a you know, a big name on your resume in the in the manner in which he did it. Uh, it was a good, a good bounce back. But um, I'm, you mentioned from the, this card, by the way, as well, uh, Denise Kilholtz losing via triangle which was somewhat surprising i gotta say yeah paul daly ending his career with an absolutely vicious ko over uh wendell or vendel giacomo bc at 409 of the second round you got to be kidding me with this one did you see storybook. that yeah it was storybook it was like kobe going for 60 in his final game you know r.i.p luke it was like this is the most paul daly thing to do go you know go down on the cards against uh, a guy who's trying to you know use your name to, to make himself and you rally and land the big blow. And it wasn't one punch. It was two, but it was just so perfect and so brutal. Like only Paul Daly does Luke. Uh, Semtex always had, you know, supernatural power mixed with the desire to go through anything against anyone. And it's produced so many memorable fights. Even if, you know, you look back, it got a raw deal by the UFC, uh, never, never being allowed back in, but you know, considering, the the uh, the 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 missteps of others, but he put together one of those like, damn, do I love and respect this guy type of careers. Even with what like twenty losses, basically in the end, it doesn't matter, Luke. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No, but I'm looking at this finish here. Golly, dude, that was just... I mean, you know what? It wasn't just a spectacular win. It was vintage Semtex as well, you know? He's a little bit more of the left hook guy, but still, just the same. Just, you know, blasting someone. They fall face first, and then he walks off. You got to love it for him. And and I'm glad Scott Coker found a place for him, even though Dana White couldn't after the whole Josh Koscheck incident. He has been a fixture of my MMA fandom and experience. And he had a great career. He had, you know, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but he had a great career the whole way through. So shouts to Paul Daly. Also, BC, I'll just add real quickly, Daniel Weichel beating Rob Whiteford 112 into the first round via TKO. Daniel Weichel, the consistent measure of whether you're elite or not at Bellator, still out there turning in quality wins. Yeah, 37. On the prelim card. 37. He's doing some Jim Miller type stuff right now. Shout out to him. That was That was great to see, Luke. Uh, Luke, also, that was call... not a buggy choke in the Oliver end camp. Uh, it was an inverted triangle. 
So absolutely, no. There, there, there was about. there was some good stuff on the on the undercards there leading up to it, and it didn't seem like a good aggressive crowd. Luke Bellator knows how to how to uh, you know build the events in Europe well, but um, I, that, does this card feel like it was two weeks ago? Just because it was Friday afternoon, it really does. It yeah. really does. All right, let's move on here to point number four. Let's talk about a little bit of boxing that happened over the weekend. Incredible fight. Incredible fight. Jermel Charlo stops Brian Castaño in the 10th round. He not only unifies the belts between them, he is now the undisputed single belt holder. All four belts, first one in the modern era, obviously Winky Wright in the three-belt era, but since Winky Wright, first one in the four-belt era. Incredible. So let me start the conversation this way, BC. Charlo got all four belts in this weight class by stopping his opponents in all four of those bouts. Does he belong in the pound-for-pound rankings now? I think he does. This was the performance that a lot of us who have had him in the honorable mention or other receiving votes category, in the you know as it as it is to the top ten of the pound-for-pound rankings for a long time, we've wanted this, we've needed this because we've known it was in him, Luke, the well-roundedness. But what this time went with that well-roundedness? Look, Jermel Charlo, Jermel Charlo always has the snarl. He always fights with the chip on his shoulder. But this was different, dude. This was grown-ass man shit, Luke. This was that gear we needed to see so he no longer gets entangled in the, the loss to Tony Harrison that was very disputed, and boy, did he come back and avenge that by knockout. And now the draw the first time around against Castaño, which we all kind of thought it was a Charlo loss, this is how you fix that that issue. The issue is never about the ability, even if he's be, if he's become more slugger than boxer in his prime run here. But Luke, he didn't, you know, out hustle or out box. He out fought the bully in Brian Castaño here, and that's the difference between what happened the first time around last year and what happened right here. Is he pound for pound ability? Yes, I think now he has the win where you want to put him in there, 9, 10, wherever you you know, you know feel. Yeah, he's of that ilk now, Luke. He's one of my favorite fighters in this game to watch, even if he can be a roller coaster of emotions and sometimes performances. But this seemed to be that dialed-in performance that, that, frankly, we've been waiting for. Even with the knockout of Rosario to unify belts, you've still been waiting for one of those start-to-finish, like, I'm going to go in there and handle my business. The thing is, Luke... I think so. I've always thought he's been better than he realized. And that sounds dumb because, like, he talks a big game, right? Both Charlos, they're, they're very good marketers and they're, they're, they boast a lot. But the belief in every part of his game was, was the reason I think he won this fight. It was next level. Dude, you know what was amazing to me is if you show the highlight one more time of how that, by the way, just a brilliant short left hook. I mean, super accurate. Because if you look at the hand, of Castaño, it's up. It just comes right in front and then tags him along like maybe the side of the face, even the temple line. But that's not even the point I wanted to make. The point I wanted to make was look where the fight was at that moment in time. Castaño had backed Charlo up to the ropes and Charlo was trying to fight inside. But the difference was he was fighting on the inside. He was brawling rounds four to six, right? But at this point in the fight, this is round 10, what you see from him is much more scientific fighting on the inside. At times, wrapping up with Brian Castaño. At times, pushing him away. Much better about lateral movement. This time, he got trapped along the ropes, and he was constantly looking for that left hook over the top, dude. Or, you know, in this case, um, it was right in front. But he was constantly looking for... He was waiting to feel the right from Brian Castaño so that he could come right over the top of it. Remember, it hurt him in the second round of the first fight. Dude, this was... He, to me, Charlo won the first three. I, I agreed with Steve Farhood's scorecard. 
He won the first three. Castaño won the next three. So you're through six. It's about even. Charlo could have won that fight with the way he won from seven on, which was jabbing, keeping distance, slowing down the output of Castaño. But and he did. He, he was winning the rounds. But in this moment, Castaño was trying to reassert himself, and Charlo was still better. Charlo beat Castaño in the phase of the game where Castaño is considered to be his best, throwing combinations, high yes. guard, backing you up against the ropes. That is where Charlo took his belt from him at the very Damn center right. of where Castaño excels. You, can, I mean, if that doesn't put him on the pound-for-pound pound list, what the fuck does? I mean, and that's the thing, man, the intention. What I said Logan Sterling didn't show enough of. The intention, I went back and rewatched this fight, Luke. The first two rounds, it's like Charlo stood there and basically said without saying to Castaño that when you cross that line and try to pin me to the ropes, I'm fighting my way out. That type of consistent infliction of intention was not there in the first fight there were you know it was it was charlo at times trying to like always like he does look for the perfect shot that could change the fight this time it was charlo not worrying it look there were times he throw he threw you know poorly tech technique hooks because this was a fight the fact that he committed to the fight part of it and the commitment of that intention you're right. He stood up to the greatest skill Castaño had and said, I can still beat you heads up with this. And not he wasn't he wasn't doing it to show off. That's the way you have to beat bullies like this. You gotta stand up to them and show them that you can take what they have, but you're gonna be better. And Luke, he was better. I don't know how you know I saw Coppinger had Castaño ahead at the time of the stoppage. I had it six rounds to three. I don't I don't see how you could I think look all this. judges had Charlo up at the time of the stoppage, if memory serves. I don't see how you could have Castaño up, even though I really loved his effort and his adjustments and I loved everything about it. But Luke, when you really look at, you know, the replays after each round. Charlo's ability to do things like sidestep and throw the hook to the body, like there were there were nuances added to his game along with that added aggression and intention. Yes. And anytime the you know the the play didn't work and it was time to fight, the fact that Charlo stood in there and banged. I mean, the end of round four, that ten seconds was like a you know I mean that was like an aphrodisiac, Luke. And then the end of round five, they did it again for like thirty seconds. They both dug in, committed to what was coming at them. But Charlo's defense was really good. I know he ended up going on a huge rant at the press conference about this. It was aimed at Coppinger. More on that to come and have you seen the shit. Wait, but part he, of that rant. He, did he kill Coppinger too? I didn't see oh, this. Oh my God. It was it was uh it was a murder. But uh <laughs> part of the rant was, you know, he he looked at Coppinger and was like, You're a fanboy. You never been in there. You don't realize that I I'm I'm you know moving with these shots. And Luke, I really focused on Charlo's defense on the rewatch. And a lot of those exchanges, man, Castaño's just not touching him clean, and Charlo's coming right back with bombs. So even though the punch stats showed Castaño was more aggressive, landed more, dude, Charlo won almost all of these exchanges except for, you know, a couple of them in the early rounds. I mean, dude, he he just outmanned him, and you'd love to see it, Luke, but he outmanned him in this fight. You know what's amazing, BC? You go back to this one. He loses to Tony Harrison, comes back and avenges the loss, and had the draw with Castaño, and then comes back and then gets uh, the win. So you had these two performances: the Harrison fight, or the, I should say, the Harrison rematch and the Castaño rematch, where you saw. Granted, you know Harrison was having his moments in the rematch too. But the point I want to make is sometimes the Charlos get criti- <laughs> they get criticized for having. A level of they, they have this desire for a claim that sometimes you'd say, well, you're very good, but you haven't quite shown us this. 
These rematches with Harrison and Castaño, it clearly shows that when, at least in the case of Jermel Charlo, when he really buckles down and he really trains, and he talked about the fact that he was like way underweight for this one. You know, when I say way, I mean like a pound or two, but still, you know, underweight for this one because he had put in so much work. It almost shows that the critics are a little bit right about them, which is that, yes, dude, you guys are crazy yeah. talented, but maybe just maybe not that they're lazy. You know, that's not quite true. But we don't always get the best out of them. What was so magnificent about this one is even in the rounds that Castaño won, rounds four to six, Charlo was in that one, biting down on the mouthpiece, not being, not abandoning the game plan, not panicking, really firing it off, and then getting back to the game plan and then finishing off his foe. Dude, when these guys actually give what they have to give, when they actually give what is really truly inside them, it is magnificent to watch. So I don't want to say that the critics are always right about the Charlos. That's not what I mean. But I do mean to say that like Derek James pulling the most out of him, it was yes. a sight to behold. Yeah, no, you nailed it without being rude. You're still correct. And that's that, you know, do they get hate that's disgusting and wrong? And yeah, they, they you know, they're public figures. They probably get a lot of bad shit. But I do agree that the the critical critique, the, the stuff that they get super mad about at times, it is driven in the idea that we see the greatness in there but sometimes it's selective on when it comes out. And the fact that Charlo fought this way against Castaño and won, it doesn't mean that I expect him to fight this same way every time out. It just means that he's showing you now that he can do this and he's willing to when needed. And it's going to be needed at times. But, you know, the difference between this and how he avenged the loss to Harrison was that, you know, he was facing a, a more pure boxer in Harrison than Castaño is. And even though I was, you know, at times I said, look, I still didn't think Charlo threw enough punches in that fight. And I thought he was down on the scorecards at the time of the knockout against Harrison. He's still showing you that he can literally win a fight in every way. That's how damn well-rounded he is. So I don't know if he's needed the the two, the loss and the draw uh, to really fire something up in him to get that extra level of focus. But whatever he did to harness this performance, whatever he had to do to get right, um, or prepare or whatever it was, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's just a, I'm dialing in more than normal, or sometimes maybe I'm just working harder than normal. I'm not sure what it is, but he, he's pound for pound great when he dials into that. So um, Luke, it's going to be really interesting in my opinion, where Jermel goes now that he is the undisputed champ because he did throw out that tease of potentially wanting to go to middleweight in the post-fight interview. But dude, I still think there's business at 54 big, big business. If Luke, he wants to hang around. So I don't know who would be next. You have a better sense of that, but I do well, I do want to make sure we make a point in this conversation to say something about Derek James. Derek James is, of course, his trainer. And for folks who may not realize, boxing fans know this, but for MMA fans who don't, that's the trainer of Errol Spence. Errol Spence, BC and I were just at that fight in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> we may have been in the bleeders, BC, but we were there. <laughs> and we saw what Spence did to Jordanis Ugas, who is a supreme talent. Dude, Derek James, let me ask you this. Right now, pound-for-pound pound rankings, not of fighters, but of boxing trainers. Where is Derek James, dude? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll say it as, as fair and honest as it is. It's either him or Eddie Reynoso right now as the best trainers in the game. And it's not to me about you know how many great fighters you have because we've seen it before. Fight, trainers become Hall of Fame great like a Freddie Roach, and then suddenly they have this factory and everyone's trying to run to them to get rescued. Um, I, I like that Derek James is almost more like a, if you want to make an MMA comparison, like a Trevor Whitman, he, you know, he's only got a select 
few couple uh, clients, but they're super elite. Although I'm sure he's working with younger fighters and always on the lookout. But it's you know it's it's Spence and Charlo are the, are the reasons why we know him, and he takes their greatness, which is them, but just figures out that the tiny wrinkles or whatever he has to do to, you know, to motivate or, or get them to focus on the part of their game that they're not seeing that they need to either clean up or, 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 you know, enunciate more. And yeah, Luke, I think, you know, you want to make the argument right now that he's the best in the game. The, the proof's in the pudding, as Floyd would say, Luke, uh, he's got two of the 10 best fighters in the game right now operating uh, on high, high cylinders. And it, it's great to see because Derek James used to be a fighter himself, but, you know, never had some super big moments to to, to be in your living room necessarily. But, you know, he's he works hard. He still keeps a full time job. He 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 loves this game and it's good to see him getting that respect now. All right. So in terms of next fights, what makes the most sense for Jamel Charlo? All right. If he wants to go to 60, you know. Go for it. It's fine. I know his brother's eventually going to move up to 68, and there's you know there's a lot to chase there, but there's much more to chase dollars-wise, storyline-wise, attention-wise at 154. I know when people get the four belts, sometimes they go, okay, I've, I've climbed the mountain. Let's move on. But think about this. Right now, Charlo has two mandatories, and I think they're both huge events depending on how you set them up and play them out. One is Tim Zhu, who, who beat... Uh, uh, who did they beat? Uh, Gaucher. Terrell Gaucher in his U.S. debut and really showed us, okay, maybe he takes more damage than we thought he should, but he's on this level. Luke, if they want to do Charlo versus, like, Tim Zhu, like, that's a potential event. Like, that's a great fight on paper. And if you wanted to get Australia heavily involved, I mean, that could be an event. But then there's also Sebastian Fundora, who knocked mm. out uh, Erickson Lubin and is such a fun attraction of his own, almost Dude, I think, six, I mean, seven. The Tim Zhu fight is interesting to me, but let me just interrupt. Doesn't Charlo absolutely torch Fundora? So in theory, yes. But Luke, I would have said the same thing about Lubin. I would have said the same thing about everyone I've seen him fight. Is you know, Fundora doesn't doesn't use his size, doesn't move his head a whole ton. He just stands in front of you and throws so much volume, but he lands clean and he hits hard and he's almost six seven for a junior middleweight, which is ridiculous. And he kind of just wears you down in the brawl that Dude, I'm just talking about as an attraction fight, Charlo versus him for all four belts. I think there's money to be made there if if PBC wants to get involved in that in and convince Charlo to stay if if their convincing is needed. But Luke, also think of the names that are still around, like like a Jared Hurd if he can get refurbished, like a Julian Williams, you know, former unified champions of this division that are still here. Um, Terrence Crawford's probably more of a long shot, but that's also you know was teased and rumored. Uh, after a potential Spence Crawford fight. I think there's more business at 54 because 60 is a little bit more splintered to other networks and other promoters. But, mm. you know, he did just climb the mountain, Luke, so I'm sure the decision's on him. And also, Jermall Charlo, the bigger of the two, moving to 168, this is a Canelo bid as well. I mean, a Canelo's still with his DAZN contract, but even Eddie Hearn is like, yeah, he's probably going to be gone when this contract is up, right? So that part of that is the Canelo sweepstakes, right? Yeah, but plus I also think it's time for Jermall to move up because... You know, he's kind of beating everybody he could get in the ring with him. And I know he's got Machi Selechki coming up on Showtime this summer. And, you know, a guy who's tested a lot of these elite guys. But if he goes to 68 after that, you're talking about David Benavides, Caleb Plant. You know, they're much more Canelo, much, much, much bigger potential for names here. All right, let's move to point number five and we'll wrap up our top five here on Monday's show. BC, we stay with Showtime Boxing. BC, we've been warning everybody. We've been telling them. I don't know if the message is getting through, but it better Jerron Ennis, dude, Cusio Clayton is not a joke, but this idea of making Jerron Ennis fight the Cusio Claytons of the world or whoever, the Tomas Delorme or whoever, 
It's a waste of his time. He dispatches him in less than two rounds. Made it look absolutely effortless. This now officially makes him the number one contender mandatory for the IBF title held by Errol Spence. So my question to you is not, BC, is Jerron Ennis as good as we think he is? He appears quite obviously to be that. My question is, dude... They're going to avoid him. I want to bring up a quote that I saw they my are. guy real quickly. <laughs> they already are. Yeah, yeah. Real, real quickly, my guy, uh, box cutter Pazzy, Vinny Paz from Jedi Mind Tricks, he posted about this over the weekend. He's from Philly. He's a huge Duran Ennis fan. And he brought up a quote that Joe Lewis told to Marvin Hagler, which was, you have three strikes against you. Uh, you're black, you're southpaw, and you're good. They're going to avoid you like the plague. Now, certainly it's a bit of a different circumstance in today's boxing than it was back then, but it's the same point. Is Jerron Ennis going to be able to get the fights that we want him to be in? Yes, and part of that is because he, like Spence before him, becoming the mandatory for Kell Brook and traveling to England, while all the stars under his own, you know, universe and silo of, of PBC Showtime, even though he's not a PBC official fighter we've talked about this before but he's a showtime fighter um they don't seemingly feel the the need to do it now they don't want to be the first one right that goes and finds out how great he can be so he's gone the mandatory route the good news is by blowing away clay and he's now the number one contender as you mentioned so they're gonna have to it's just when and you know is it gonna be crawford first which which we would not be unhappy about but he's already secured luke that side of it if you won't fight me i'll force myself in so it's gonna happen the question is next, or if not, who next? I know I've talked about Staniosis, who has the the secondary WBA belt. Could just be a, you know, okay, we'll test him against there. But against this level, and is whatever you want to say about Custio Clayton, dude, he was undefeated, and he had never been down, and he had been, like, durable and can test guys. Dude, this looked like the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. I mean, yeah. at this level... Like, we're done here. And he may do that to Staniosis. I don't know, dude. Staniosis is a tough out. That could be a fun style fight. But the whole point is... No, I don't I don't even think there's there's enough upside for these big stars right now to fight him if they don't have to, especially like a Keith Thurman where there's no belt involved. He's not going to fight him now. He'd fight him for the belts, but he's not going to fight him right now. But the good news is, you know, he's going to Spence is going to have to. I loved even though there was this long delay on the Showtime broadcast because Castaño arrived late for the main event to the arena. No one knew if he was, you know, doing gamesmanship stuff or just was late. But we we got to see Spence interviewed in the crowd with Jim Gray and you know he gave Boots his flowers. You know, he said, no, the kid's good, you know, and, and, and you know, we got our focus is on Crawford trying to make that fight happen. But, you know, he basically said we're going to have to see him. And, I, you know, he threw the joke in at the end about, you know, uh, Boots' comment about how he's ready for the big the big guys and all that. And, you know, don't be careful what you ask for. But it was Spence's way of showing, like, I know who he is. I'm going to have to do it. And it is what it is. Luke, that's going to be such the I said this on the on the post fight analysis show after uh, after Charlo on Morning Combat. If Boots enters his first real elite fight test and we still don't really know, you know what I mean? How great he can be plus are those intangibles for real? You know, the the chin, the backbone, the ability to adapt your game plan when someone's controlling you, all that stuff that you only find out at the elite level when you're this much of a freak and you're blowing people away. You know what I mean? Normally you'd find that out in your first 25 fights. We don't really know all that, dude. If he goes into a Spence fight without us knowing that, Luke, or a Crawford fight or whomever, uh, you know, line one, Hanover, Ohio. How do I how do I walk with this direction, Luke? How do I, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Luke? Do you really know yeah. what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, so, so let's ask this question. What is a mechanism? Could, okay. So if Bud Crawford signs with PBC, 
we're confident that that would be next. Spence versus Crawford. It's a, It's been forever in delays, but it appears like if there's ever been a time to make it, it's this one. What are some possible options for Jerron Ennis? Because he is the number one mandatory. Couldn't Spence just drop the belt and then he has to fight whoever the fuck for it? Yes, Spence could do that. He could play that game. But he doesn't want to because he wants to unify with Crawford. Look, Spence has not been about doing that shit, that shit that you can do when you have the leverage, when you're the unopposed A-side. And and I don't mean to say that if you've done that, you know, you're a bitch. Everybody who's, a, who's achieved that power has abused it to, an agree, to a degree, from, you know, Oscar to Floyd to even Canelo waiting out Triple G almost two full years there for, you know, no reason but to maybe see him get old. Like, no one's perfect here. But um, I think Spence is about this, about this life. And, and yes, if Spence beats Crawford for all four belts, is, the, is it possible that he breaks our hearts and just gives up all the belts, Luke, and goes up to 154? I mean, I guess, right? You know, what if he went, what if Spence became the undisputed champion and then only sought Canelo in a catchweight? That was his only focus from here on out. It's yeah. not like we'd say, you know, dude, you, you know, you're a bitch. You're running from boots. I mean, some would. I don't think he's about that, Luke. Spence has that old school mentality, and that's why this new era is so fun right now when they're making the fights and the fights are delivering, which they are last year and this year. It's why it's so fun. Put your blinders on. Forget about the past. Enjoy this, right? Put put your face up against the screen. Just 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 enjoy it. Is uh people don't want to leave their division, their time, their era with questions that they weren't the man. That's old school mentality. Um Spence has that, so I feel confident that like who cares boots isn't a pbc fighter apparently the relationship works he's a showtime fighter we're gonna make this we're gonna it's gonna happen luke spence ain't dumping that belt in the garbage like riddick boa you know to avoid lennox lewis not happening i I believe Mm. luke you don't get a lot you don't get tattoos on your back that aggressive if you're not about that life okay that's fair bc that's fair all right that's it for our top five uh bc i want to remind everyone did you know a, a, that a VPN is great for security and privacy by hiding your IP address and encrypting your traffic? It secures your data from cyber attacks. But the problem is the protection is limited. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, data. Uh, NordVPN, on the other hand, Luke, offers a brand new feature to the desktop apps, providing threat protection and taking your digital security to the next level. You should look into it. All right. So enable... Uh, on your NordVPN app, right? Enable it. Uh, and then it protects you from malicious websites, malware, trackers, and intrusive ads, even if you're not connected to a VPN server, bitches. Indeed. And just make sure you have the most up-to-date version of the app on your device. Go to the Shield icon, switch on the threat protection button, and uh, you're going to find out what happens to have real protection around you, like I have with my bodyguard, Luke Thomas. I don't know what that means. That's, why I, talk exclusive... sh- that's why I talk shit about fighters. Because I got Luke Thomas next to oh, me. I'm not coming to save you. I got you uh, Grab Baca. your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash combat, combat with a K, or use the code combat with a K to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus free threat protection, plus one additional month for free, completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And along with amazing cybersecurity benefits and getting the ability to access streaming services in other countries with no extra cost, NordVPN now comes with, get this, free anti-malware feature, which protects your devices from malware, malicious ads, phishing sites, maybe international adults content. I don't know, but NordVPN has your back, baby. 
All right. There you have it. There it is. All that right. felt good. Yeah. That's it for our top five. It's time now for uh, the the viewers to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from the old diggity dogs. Hee-haw. Hee-haw. Yes. All right. Uh, let's go first. Oh, of course, this is the first one. From Tylorians. Thoughts on the Tony Kelly debacle? This would be the, the incident between, uh, let's see, it was uh, Andrea Lee. And Vivian uh, Arujao fighting. And in between rounds, Tony Kelly, who's in her corner, uh, says that, uh, you know, you're fighting some dirty uh, Brazilians. You know they're going to cheat. And on and on and on. BC, what do you think? Yeah, effing dirty. Look, it, it, the quote itself, just it was abrasive. It, in this climate and culture, and I say, what is this climate and culture? One where we don't do shit like this. It, it screams horribly. It screams almost racism. And I get his response was sort of like, you know, his response to, was terrible, trying to cover it up, but not really, you know, into the letter of the law. Could he really have had no malicious intent and was really focusing on the fact that he believes Brazilian fighters cheat? Like, yeah, I guess it could have. But even that, it just it just looks bad. It sounds bad. It's a, it's it's a, it's aggressive and it's offensive. This is also the fight game. So I get it. And sometimes we. We allow trash talk between fighters when it gets super personal and aggressive because it's heightened emotions. But just take the L and do better because it's not it's not a good look at all. In fact, it's very offensive. I mean, yeah, I mean is there like is there like in the world of possible interpretations, is there an interpretation that is not necessarily good, but is there one that isn't explicitly racial? Yes. In the world of possible interpretations, it is possible to come to that. However, it is extremely unlikely. It's an absolutely awful thing that he said, only made worse by his <laughs> absurd defense of it, claiming cancel culture. Like, you're not popular enough to be canceled. I'm not popular enough to be canceled. Joe Rogan might be, or somebody all another. None of us are popular enough to be canceled. So, like, that is not even remotely in play here at all. And also, like, the, it was, what's so bad about it is not just that he did it. It's like, dude, in what, like, maybe in Serie A, when they have a team that has a player who's black and then they're, the, the fans show up with, like, bananas, which is, like, horrible and the worst shit ever. May, maybe that's worse in terms of, like, sports. But, like, dude, ask an ESPN executive what sport, from women's softball to UFC to everything else, gives you more headaches in terms of this kind of, like, retrograde 19th century bullshit how much of that do you have to clean up in all the other sports versus this one? And I fucking guarantee you, MMA is at the top of their list, dude. MMA is like my favorite sport. But like he comes out and he says this, and then he has this terrible response afterwards. And there are, of course, of course, there's going to be people who say, well, what's so wrong with what he said? Let me explain something to you. Look at me very, look at me very clearly and listen to me very carefully. If you don't understand what Tony Kelly said is wrong, you have no capacity to reason morally whatsoever. None. Zero. Your brain does not work. It does not work if you don't understand that what he said was absolutely reprehensible. And the defense of this, to me, is sickening. And more to the point, the ubiquity of this is also sickening. The culture in MMA, which, by the way, absolutely gives rise to racist bullshit all the time, is fucking awful. MMA is my favorite sport, and I mean that, but MMA culture is shit. 
It's trash. It's awful. I hate everything about MMA culture. I don't like it at all. It's got nothing for me. And this leniency about it, this pervasiveness about it, this ubiquity, dude, you can't go into the proverbial MMA forest and turn over a rock and not find worms. It's everywhere. It's every fucking, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it is oppressive and awful. And, you know, listen, I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting every person's worldview to agree with mine. Believe me, I'm in a world where it's the exact opposite all the time. And I have made peace with that, but only up to a certain point. You cannot get on national TV and say the shit he said and then get afterwards and then blame kick like like it's fucking comical to blame cancel culture. It's like no, reasonable people just don't want to hear racist shit when they turn on their TVs. It's really no more complex than yeah. that. And in a bare minimum, even if you want to call it racial, uh, xenophobic to the nth degree, yeah. certainly that as well. Well, that's totally what I'm saying. unenlightened. No matter which way you want to cross it. The and if anyone out scenario, there is like, I'm going to defend this, or I don't get what the problem is, you are fucking lost. The best case scenario is like blatant, ignorant xenophobia. So it's like either way, horrific look. Uh, move it out, you know, move it on over. But Luke, isn't that twice now for KGB's? Uh, oh man, I know. It's like it's like even if you do like, okay, well, Tony Kelly made a mistake, and maybe he'll figure it out later. Fine, I mean, it's entirely possible. But I wasn't born with enlightened ideas either. I, you know, not that I have them even now, but like, you know, it takes time. Fine, whatever. The point I'm trying to make here is, in the case of Andrea Lee, it's like, let me see if I understand this. She had terrible corner advice uh, on national TV, and yet this woman is the same one who like didn't fully get why having a boyfriend with Nazi tattoos, by the way, look up why he was in prison to begin with. That's a whole other story. And then like, it was like, wow, why would we have to defend or why would we have to cover up Nazi tattoos? Cause they're fucking Nazi tattoos. Why do you have them at all? After you get out of prison, this, the first fucking thing you do is go and get them covered up. If you have even a, a slight ability to morally reason or care about other people at fucking all, this was even this was debated this was like wow why would someone want to do that holy fucking shit next time people have terrible opinions about the folks who like mma which by the way hand raised that's me too don't ever question them about why they have it that way don't ever question them about why they're like why would you have a bad opinion about folks who like mma because there is so much rancid shit coursing through the veins of this sport and nobody ever wants to say shit about it lest you be accused of being a snowflake, lest you be accused of cancel culture. No, a lot of you have real shitty ideas about the world and you have not had this reflected upon you because you live in a bubble. And then when it gets on national TV, oh, all of a sudden the lights turn on and you don't know what to do about it. That's the reality here. Dude, the, the MMA is the greatest sport, but the culture around it and, and the ideas that float it are horrific. Tune in to Luke's live chat on Thursday where he tackles abortion. <laughs> it just drives me nuts, dude. It drives me nuts. Uh, All right. Lee would take the loss by unanimous decision in that fight. Let's move on, Luke. Okay. At Maddox Clan 111. How, you th how do you think Benavidez versus Lemieux goes? And what's next given... He gets a solid W. Can't wait. I'll be out there with uh, my boy David next Saturday. Hashtag Team Benavidez. Hasta la muerte. Uh, this fight is going to be fantastic. Uh, David, Le David Lemieux, former middleweight champion, is in the, in the ending, the second chapter of his career here at 168. 
But what does he do? He comes in there to bang. The guy's left hook is still a problem. Uh, He's always been, you know, too in love with his power, not as good of a boxer against the other super elites, but he can still throw. And when Benavidez brings in that style and they go, you know, mano y mano in the center of that ring, it's going to be fun as crap. It's going to be a wild fight. But yes, one, I believe Benavidez should be able to stop him and make a, a huge statement but really, it's the same statement he keeps making here that, you know, that he may have lost his title twice, both his fault, failed recreational drug test and scale mishap. But he's still, you know, in conversation outside of Canelo as the best 168 pounder in the world. I mean, he's that good. So what would he go next? Hopefully now no more rest stops along the way. Let's let Benavidez fight a champion. Uh, I want to see him against Caleb Plant, who I know doesn't have a belt right now because he lost to Canelo. I want to see him against uh, uh, Jamal Charlo would be a massive fight. And and Luke, I want to see him against Canelo just like everybody else does. As long as he gets one of those massive names. Or or Demetrius Andrade, who can't get anybody in the ring. I know that's not an easy fight to make. The whole point is it's got to be super elite after this because even though the mishaps have been his fault, Luke, he keeps doing the penance to earn back the 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 standing of where he was when the, when those bad things happened. Yeah, I mean, when he's on, he's on, right? Like when David Benavidez is cooking, he's great. Uh, it's just he's got a lot of well, he's I should say he has had a fair amount of issues outside of the ring or on the scales that have kind of cost him, as you alluded to. But dude, when he's when he's delivering, he's delivering. All right, my vision is still not great even with glasses. From Mart C nineteen ten. Who do you think is the best MMA fighter with a losing record? Now, BC, when they say a losing record, they mean majority losses? Like, I don't know. I think they mean an under 500 record, or I guess they could also mean somebody whose record is above 500, but they've got like 20 career losses, right? Like, you know, like a Paul Daly who has like 18 losses. Randy Couture has got a ridiculous amount. Um, Andre Olarski, I think, has 20 losses, right? I mean... Yeah, uh, Alistair Overeem has a bunch of losses, too. Yeah, I mean, we forgive losses in MMA in ways that we would never do in boxing, fair or unfair. But um, is there a specific person with a losing record who carries that? Like, if it was Michael Johnson, right, if he retires with a losing record, you'd be like, damn, that's probably the best guy I've ever seen with a damn losing record, right? Uh, Who else jumps out, Luke? Anyone? Well, in the end, God, I hate to say it, but I think BJ Penn's record at the end was kind of close. Let me double check that. I'm pretty sure he was close to 500 Ugh. at the time. Uh, let's see. So now, are you factoring fight... in the, the two fight series at the Lava Shack or not? <laughs> I think he went one. I think one that might one, put though. him under. So, dude, yeah. kind of close. Golly, I cannot believe he finished this way, but he did. 16 14 2. 16 So, it's technically winning, but still, I mean, basically, basically even, more or less. Uh, so, that it might be him, dude. It might be him because he, he's considered like Mount Rushmore or something, you know? Uh, yeah, or at least the future governor, one of the two, Luke. <laughs> I don't know. He missed the debates. Did you see that? No. What, what happened? There was, I guess, a, uh, for just the Republicans, of which he, that is the, that's the party he's running with, there was a GOP debate for the primaries, and apparently his team missed it. So I don't know what that means, but they, they missed it. All right. At O'Reilly7402. Well, these are very inspired names. Does anyone have a weirder MMA record than Michael Johnson to that point? <laughs> Beating wow, and even rocking former champs and interim champs, but losing to some less than good fighters. Right. It is weird that you knocked out Dustin Poirier in the first round. Because, like, here's the thing, BC. We've all seen the guys who have, like, one, like, really amazing. Like, who who was it that knocked out Khan? Breedis Prescott, right? He knocked him out, right? Yeah. Uh, 
But then Breedis didn't have any other con-like win. No. Johnson is different. Now, maybe the Poirier one stands a little bit alone, but not really. Like, he beat Edson Barboza early into Edson Barboza's run. So, like, he's got a few of those high-end wins. I don't know. It's it's. I don't know if anyone has I a weird record. The the, the, the quality control by our producers and the variety of questions, Luke. Is the is the last one about Michael Johnson as well? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it reminds me of. Um, it's rare in boxing when somebody can get you know ten losses and fight for and win a title. But do you remember light heavyweight Glenn Johnson, Glenn Cough Johnson from Jamaica, Luke? When he um, he was a journeyman with like ten losses, and then he like went on this run and, and won the light heavyweight championship and was like the fighter of the year in like 2004, five-ish area. He beat Tarver. I mean, he beat everyone for a while and then went back to kind of being a tough out journeyman. But it, it's, it's rare, Luke, when it's certainly rare when somebody gets to the title level, although that the standards of that boxing wise are much different than the standards of MMA. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know if I've, if I've got a better answer than Michael Johnson for either of these questions. I, I mean, Artem Lobov beat Paulie Malignaggi. Yeah, well, the, I think the judges missed that one too luke okay they I went mean, okay but it was still pretty competitive you know yeah it was it was something luke all right all right <laughs> from at math.u.sale.era yeah okay i love that uh luke thomas versus cm punk in an mma fight who wins and how probably well i, I guess i'm bigger than him so i guess i would just win in that sense but well, bc i will tell you the truth i didn't tell you this yesterday i'll tell you today i was in the hospital yesterday yesterday morning what? um yeah I've told you guys this privately. I'll tell the audience. It's kind of funny given Brock Lesnar had the same one, although he had like a super severe version of it. I don't have that. But in the last 18 months, I've had three pretty remarkable flare-ups of diverticulitis. Um, And I'm at the point now where the doctor I saw, because I woke up, sure enough, in pain. I recognized it immediately. So I went, and uh, they, they hooked me up. I'm all right. I've got... A bunch of stuff I have to take now. Um, but the point Luke, I'm trying to make is... you're scaring me again, okay? No, 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 no. Well, here's the thing. Even losing all the weight that I did, it I still wasn't giving my body the specific kinds of nutrients it needed. And now I'm at the point where, dude, like I was, I've been pretty good about it the last week. I went two days without drinking a lot of water. Not that I had no water, but not much. So the doctor now thinks that... Um, I might have like, you know how if you get like heat exhaustion one time, you're more and more prone yes. every subsequent time to get it. It gets easier and easier to get it. Now I'm at a stage where it's like very easy for me to get it. So I have to go see a, a, what was it, a gastroenterologist and uh, and see if there's anything they can do for me because now it's coming back like that, like nothing. Damn, so. dude, I had the shit out of issues with heat exhaustion in my in my prime basketball and drinking days, Luke, you know? I, I, I got heat exhaustion for the first time. My first week at boot camp, and I've never been the same since, dude. And that was yeah. a crazy experience, too. Dude, um, I hope so you... now. Yeah, so now Brock Lesnar let it... I, I, dude, I don't know how he let it go so long. Because the one version I have is relative to what he had, quite mild. And it's painful, bro. Like, it's yeah. real painful. Well, he's that old school bite down and don't complain <laughs> sort of Dude, like... I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's not that you couldn't keep going. Like, you could. It's not the pain that I've had is not so debilitating. You, you can't just go about your day. You sort of can. I mean, it would be un. It wouldn't be great, but you could do it. But it's like, dude, like your body is telling you something. Something's definitely yeah. not right. Like it's, it's very die, unusual Luke, pain. How you do you ignore it. that for as long as he did? Yeah, I'm I'm proud of you for for addressing this. Let's get fixed up, Luke. You know, between my various issues, the uh, 
the liver. I got a, yeah, I got MRI. Look, I, I, this is, you know, I'm only. Well, it also might be related to my gallbladder, which I've not had taken out. So that could be another problem as well. So it's a few things happening there, but yeah, boy, yesterday morning, your boy was, was old back in the old doctor's doctor's chair, whatever the fuck you want to call it. What if you got really sick and you were also like down on your luck financially career wise, would you agree to let the MK docs document your entire journey? If, if like, they like you know filled in the gap and paid your bills and got you back up to speed. I mean, you'd like have like say Jake... entire journey like you're gonna watch me get a colonoscopy or something. Yeah, like Jake moves in basically, <laughs> and it's like you know this is no 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 no. By the way, has Jake gone to your house yet? No, I had to cancel that one time because uh, my son was sick and uh, and and it was chaos here. But uh, I got to get him here because we're supposed to go to the we're supposed to go to the factory town. We're supposed to you know we're supposed to go to where it all began, Luke. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> It's wild. We had some wild ideas there, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you ready for the shit, Luke? Let's do it. All right. Uh, Speaking well, we of colonoscopies. Do, yeah, every Sunday, uh, I scour the globe for the uh, good and the bad, the ugly, the highs, the lows, the in-between in combat sports and beyond. And then when Gaffney Pierre assembles that shit, pulls the kernels out. And then I ask you, Luke Thomas, have you actually seen this shit? <laughs> All right. Luke, uh, this is a tip-to-tip branded show. What you did you get any movement from Friday's UFC weigh-in when Blahovich and Rakic were like invading each other's space? Luke, I mean, just kiss already, right? The tension is killing me here. Yeah, this is a bit much. I mean, I, it's like I get, I get because the whole point is if someone moves into your space, you don't move away. Yeah, but I mean. This is February 14th, if nothing else is, you know? Yep, indeed. That's that's, that's an Eskimo kiss they just did on each other, Luke. Oh, that's why I forgot about Eskimo kisses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Luke, speaking of uh, uh, violence, how about we speak about violence? Davy Grant did some violent shit in this three-round bantamweight brawl with Louis Smolka until this late finish, dude. Damn. Yeah, he he. I mean, he could have stopped it here. Ugh. I mean, he's just like pot. I mean, he's pounding sand, Luke. That's damn. Wow. That's vicious, accurate ground and pound. Good shot yeah. from Davy Grant. But speaking of violence, Luke, lightweight Manuel Torres sent Frank Camacho to the pit of hell. Did you see this, Luke? Frank the got cranked right here. Yeah, dude. I used to train with Frank Camacho back in the day, long, long time ago. Um, I love him. But this is how he fights, bro. That's how it's just win or lose. That's what you're going to, he's not, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you're going to get with him. And usually it's almost always, it's always exciting. Not so great for always winning, but it is great for excitement. Luke, didn't you say your wife once rolled with Cyborg? Are we talking Santos or, or, uh... no, 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 no. With Roxanne Motiferi. She's a fan of Cyborg. She likes Cyborg. Oh, okay. 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 Um, was Roxanne wearing knee and ankle pads? And a uh, and a scuba know. outfit. Yes. I don't know. Yes, I don't. I honestly don't know. I don't. All know. right, uh, Luke. We're going to throw to the post-fight interview of Jan Blahovich, who had Luke uh, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week leading up to this victory. First of all, they uh, they stole my car. After that, I have you know uh, I have diarrhea. I cannot train by three two days. You know when I come back to, to training on sparring session. Uh, sparring partner cut my eye, you know, another break. I say, what the f***? But thanks to Daria, my mental coach, we survived this shit things, and we are here in Vegas. Enjoy our life. 
Luke, what if Jan was one of us? Just a slob like one of us, right? Just a... Did you did you steal his car, BC? Did you steal it? <laughs> well, I stole it because I had diarrhea, Luke. So you know, just it's just it's ironic that way. Uh, <laughs> Alanis was sitting in the back seat. It was great, Luke. Uh, apparently, this diarrhea thing's going around because a week before on UFC Fight Pass, we had a regional MMA interview gone the same direction but deeper. Let's go to the videotape. Last fight, I was tired. I was exhausted. I'm about to launch this NFT that's going to change the fight game. And I put in 30 all-nighters before that fight. I had herpes before that fight, two outbreaks in the span of a week. I'm here. I'm healthy. Let's go. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I fight. Luke, I said diarrhea. I, I meant yeah, I'm not I sure what's herpes. worse, BC, the herpes or the claim that the <laughs> NFT is going to change the game. Do you think the NFT is 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 of herpes, Luke, of, of like a... Like, uh, this is how I got it, right? It's a, you know what I mean? Like, it's, wow. Well, that's when they great. say herpes, what they mean is mat herpes, uh, which is you can just get in the gym. It's actually much more transmissible and common than you might imagine. He doesn't mean, like, sex herpes. He means mat herpes. But, yeah, oh, mat real. herpes. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah, I never had that that type of herpes. It uh, is Luke. real. No, no, no. I know you're doing a bit, but it is real. In fact, it's who was bits. it from the, for the Ultimate Fighter who got bounced for that? Somebody it's did. It's a bit. Uh, Luke, uh, this segment's this segment's already off the rails. Fuck it, let's just vape, Luke. You think you're a professional vapor, bro? Here's vaping 2.0. Okay, you got to get up on this level, Luke. Dude, what the fuck is he doing? Are you shitting me? That's what I'm talking about. This is a superpower. If you've ever been hit in the head with a wrench. <laughs> I mean, he obviously has this vape thing in his hand, right? But that's brilliant. That's great. Wow. That's so gross. Dude, like, that. I can't believe someone did. I guess, like, you know what? Yes, I can believe someone did that. <laughs> yeah, I can believe it, Luke. I mean, vaping's like a real piece of shit vehicle, Luke, okay? Speaking of, you better be careful your grandparents don't catch you vaping. Let's go to this one, Luke. It's the vape. You goddamn vaping little bastard. Uh, I'll catch you vaping. I I catch you vaping. You know what's gonna happen? That vape is gonna end up your ass. Where is the vape? You goddamn vaping little bastard. Uh, Okay, cut it, cut it. (laughs) Here's a here's a live shot of this of the set at morning combat when I pull out the vape. Yeah, indeed, Grandpa shitting all over that shit. It's gonna end up in your ass, Uh, Luke. If you stick to it, though, vaping isn't just a white trash dirtbag habit. It can become an art form. Let's go to uh, some countries got talent. ready to shit on him but i gotta say that's actually pretty cool uh we gotta go full screen on that shit can we put up a smaller uh dude we gotta do an interview with him and he has to teach me some vaping tricks that's what i'm saying if you're gonna lean into it you better lean into it luke and go professional indeed uh luke this one isn't a vape but heck this might be the we might have uncovered the first prehistoric bong your thoughts (laughs) is that Let me see if I understand this. This lady is smoking the ass <laughs> of a, of a marijuana, marijuana 
Brontosaurus. Did I get yes. that right? Yes. Yeah. Yo, my daughter that, loves Brontosauri. Yeah, she'll love the tail on that one, too, if we can get her one of those. I know. If beautiful. I see my daughter on Have You Seen This Shit smoking a Brontosaurus blunt, <laughs> you I don't know whether right. to laugh or cry. <laughs> I learned it by watching you. Uh, Luke, let's have some mascot fun. Uh, not everybody is interested in dinosaurs. Just ask these kids at this party. <laughs> Wait, wait, what? What happened? Wait, where is it? Okay. Oh no, the kids are shitting their pants. Luke, I Listen, might be a piece of shit, but I would love to be in that costume scaring those kids. That looks like so much fun. You know what I mean? I, f- I, feel, uh, I feel bad for those kids. I genuinely feel bad for those kids. But that shit's hilarious, bro. That shit, watching oh. kids laugh at trauma that's not real. Yeah. I if hate you, to say it's funny, but it's funny. If you think I went too far in taking pleasure with that, Luke, here's a, a kid comeback getting revenge on Spidey. Is this like some fat Spidey somewhere in South America? Full screen, please. Oh, just giving him the old honk there, huh? <laughs> I think that was a uh, a pull my finger bit by a famous defensive coordinator uh, collegially. Look, that's awful. All right, let's keep rolling on. Um, let's play some sound here, Luke. I'm new to this NFL call, but I was fired up. Way by Crabtree's hands. And his ability to suck in these balls. <laughs> Way by Crabtree's hands. And his ability to suck in these <laughs> I mean, say what you will wait, about wait, Michael wait, Crabtree. Wait, wait, wait. Play it again. Play it again his loudly. His ability to suck in these balls. <laughs> Way by Crabtree's hands. And his ability to suck in these balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This show's pretty stupid, Luke. Wow, that's great, though. I've that said the same thing good. about Canela's skin many, many times. Yeah, that is that is great. All right, boxing weekend recap time. Luke, Jermel Charlo knocked out Brian Castaño, and he feels fucking amazing. Let's go to the videotape here. It feels fucking amazing. You know why, bro? He should. Cause I could count, I could count back on who had that IBF belt before you and you moved up and you was like everybody in our own lane. And I fucking love Texas, dog. We got Earl Smith at forty-seven, me at fifty-four, my brother at sixty. We a fucking trio. We fucking the Bass Brothers, the motherfucking Bass Brothers. And he gonna get that title next. I'm telling you. And the money gonna keep going up, and we gonna feed our family. So how do I feel? I'm fucking amazing. Amazing. That's what I'm talking about right Dude, there. Dude, that is, he earned that. That is a hell of a victory speech. I take my hat off to him. Uh, but not everybody got out clean, Luke. Uh, is this Coppinger when, being sent to hell? Here's part of the, it was like a double sent to hell because he went on a rant after his answer. But here's the first half of ESPN's Mike Coppinger uh, stepping to the microphone. Mike Coppinger, ESPN. Congrats on an amazing performance. Playing undisputed. Um, Are you sure? Yeah, you gonna change that list? We love him. Don't worry about it. I love him. 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 I love him.
first, you know, you have to fight with Tony. You gotta get your shit together. You always hating on people and shit. You see, you gotta come back to me now. You gotta respect me now. You got no choice but to respect me now. Yeah, I did what I had to do. Yeah, 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 no way. I was trying to look bad. You didn't see that. Come on. Yeah. All right, go ahead and ask your question. That's your question. All right. Luke, in the uh, in the spirit of glass houses, I mean that both, wasn't so terrible, dude. That's well, not he that went bad. on he went on to call Mike Coppinger a fanboy and say you've never been in the ring, you've never done it before. Now, well, hold on, this, what did what did Mike ask him? It, it, I don't even remember at this point. It okay. wasn't an offensive question; it was a regular question. But okay. um, what Charlo didn't know was that Mike had scored Castano ahead in this rematch at the time of the stoppage. But uh, now, to be fair, both Charlos have told me to fuck off and hung up on me uh, over the phone or over Zoom before at different times. And uh, also, to be fair, Coppinger was right. He was like way too early putting them on his pound for pound list. But he, uh, Jermel, took issue with something Cop did, and boy, did he. Uh, did he drop a deuce there, Luke? But uh, let's keep it going on the boxing side. I don't know if you saw on this trailer undercard, uh, Evan Holyfield, the son, of, the son of Evander, young Holy, they call him. He got upset by journeyman Jermaine McDonald, Luke, and it was it was pretty vicious here. Didn't one of the uh, Holyfield, oh, that's, oh, Jesus, on oh, top God. of his own arm, that's a bad sign. Yeah, and it's only like his fourth pro fight or fifth. You know, that that's not a good look here, Luke. Um, didn't one of the Holyfield brothers... Or son, excuse me, play for UGA? Yes, I believe one was like a running back. Yes, something like that. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed, indeed. Um, Frank Gore also made his official pro debut, Luke. He lost that uh, exhibition fight against uh, uh, Darren Williams, former NBA guard. Did you see this highlight, Luke, of Frank Gore's pro debut? Good Lord. Oh! Damn, dude, dude, Darren Williams might be uh, might be pretty good. Yeah, I, I think Darren Williams is way better than we thought. I mean, I, who knows, you know, this opponent's level, but Frank Gore just sent that man to hell. Face, dude, when they go face first, that's you don't have to count as Freddie Pacheco. By the way, our our, our uh, esteemed producer Mikey Mormile is saying that the running back who is the son of Evander Holyfield is Elijah Holyfield. Yes. Good pickup there. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Luke, Golden Boy's undercard of uh, Zerto Ramirez's knockout of, of Basil, or whatever that guy's name was, had uh, John Ramirez against Jan Salvatera. And Ramirez sending this guy, Luke, uh, to hell via overnight. Uh, look at this, Luke. Damn. Dude, I is... feel bad. For, I mean, the photographer is the one who. Uh, so the photographer with one knockout. hand caught the back of the head. And I mean, it was a great, it was a great move there. Technically, you know, he has 20 seconds to get back in the ring, which he did. And then he was counted out, but you know, you're not supposed to have your team members can't help you up, but that photographer saved him from uh, something vicious. I believe we got a second angle of this dude. This was wild. Same Ooh. thing. If you recall that, that uh, right Bert- hand stunned him. He measures boom Damn. straight backwards as he's already backing up. Let me Man. ask you something. Is there a promoter in boxing who is known for having shittier rings than the other ones, like less well-protected? Not that I'm aware of, no. Because, I mean, it's a commission's going to inspect it, so that's the thing. But still, yeah. I'd be curious. Yeah, indeed. Um, that was how Bernard Hopkins in his final fight when he was like 51 went out against Joe Smith Jr. through the damn ropes. Luke, just, I think it was two weeks ago, Golden Boy had a similar fight go like this. Um I think it was like four months ago. Let's throw to the videotape. What the hell is going on here, Golden Boy? 
Oh, boy. That's a uh, nice double leg, Luke, through the uh, second <laughs> rope there. Wow. All right. And, uh, boy, Jesus, he's in pain. Good Lord. That's terrible. Uh, Luke, Jake Paul Jake Paul's back on the boxing radar. Is, the he? Footage, is he back? Footage broke out of him preparing at the world-famous uh, gym there in Brooklyn. What the heck's the name of it, Luke? Gleason's. You know what I'm talking the, uh, the, the damn Gleason's. Uh, Gleason's. Gleason's. Yeah, the damn Gleason's. Luke, he says, preparing for an August return. Tommy Fury, do you care? Anderson Silva. I care if Showtime has it and I have to cover it and get a check cut. I mean, that'd be sweet. But okay. uh, short of that, listen, I'll say this. I thought after Tommy Fury's last fight on the Dillian White and his brother's undercard, that was the first time I was ever like, I don't know, dude. I think Jake Paul might beat this guy. Because the, the, the show he had in Cleveland wasn't a great one either, but... He still was able to like rock that guy a lot, and he was this one too. He got a little bit on, but I don't know, dude. I I think Jake Paul might have something for him. To be honest with you, uh, you know what Dylan Danis had for us? Video of Jake Paul exiting Madison Square Garden after Serrano's loss to Katie Taylor in their thriller, uh, getting soda dumped on him like he's leaving the palace brawl. Luke, look at that. <laughs> Here's your uh, Listen, soda. We'll, this we'll is keep the, the two throwing piece. soda and food at people leaving. A sports arena is always a dirtbag move. Yeah, there's, it is. there's a caveat to that though. It's always funny. Yeah, it is. It is always <laughs> funny, especially since Jake's wearing that like, uh, you know, that that sling for his firearm. I don't know what that is, Luke. Yeah, All I don't right. know what that was either. It's like this is where you're holding your extra magazines. I don't know what that's. I for. don't know, uh, Luke. Wedding bells are are ringing. Here's Carla Esparza, fresh off her uh, somewhat. Disputed, maybe not uh, decision went over Rose Namajunas. It was just an awful fight. But Luke, congratulations! That's her new husband on the right. I believe he's yes, a doctor. That is, that's her. No, no, that's her. Uh, that's her uh, manager slash agent, Brian uh, Butler, on the uh, on the left, on the yes. left of the screen to her right. Yes. Yep. Uh, T.J. Dillashaw also wore his belt in his wedding photos, and I'm told that uh, War Machine did the same. Luke, although it it was like in prison. So okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> dude, no one. Let me just explain this to you. You do have funny bits. As much as I am reluctant to admit that, you do have funny bits. No one does war machine material like you. Like, And when I say no one, I mean like no one else even mentions it. You go back to that well more than anybody else I know. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Luke. I'm sorry about that. Let's go back I to the you, wedding. I love you, Brian Campbell. Luke, imagine if this was your wedding and they brought out the cake. Okay? What would your reaction oh, no, be? No, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh God. Can we zoom in here and show the couple's face upon the uh, the fall here? Oh, the Rossies, Luke, you know. Well, dude, I guess what... <laughs> dude, I, you know, here's the thing. This, uh... They were so this expensive. Wedding, this, dude, you know, here's the reality. Let me ask you a question, serious question. How much did your wedding cost? My wife and I paid for most of it ourselves, got some, you know, help, little help from relatives and friends who, like, donated their time for free to, like, you know, shoot it and stuff. I don't even remember, but it took us a long time to pay it off. And it, we both, even though it was beautiful, said afterwards, we should have eloped. Okay. How, a better question. How many people were, there, were at your wedding? The, the, uh, the hall only held 250. Oh, dude. Jesus, fuck. No, It was okay. like a barn. Right. Yeah, it was like a barn. Yeah, no, so, our, so me and my wife, and this was less of an issue for me because, you know, my family probably had to be begged to attend, but her family, as you can imagine, is <laughs> They had to large. be lied to. They're like, family reunion. You got to be there, right? All the time. Yeah, I, I think I had, we only had 40 people at our wedding, and I think I had, I'm not going to lie, I think eight guests, something like that. 
Uh, wow. So she had the rest of them. And even then, dude, it was like, we, there was people we had to say no to. And that was like, it was a whole thing. Anyway, we paid for it ourselves. Let me just explain something to you. No, not only was it the best day of my life because it's my wedding, but like it was actually great. And then we paid for everything. We got like maybe a couple grand from like my dad or something and maybe some of her relatives. Not not much, like just a little bit. Um, we paid for everything ourselves. We had no debt whatsoever when it was over. We went on our honeymoon without having to worry about the bills. Got to say, one of the best decisions we ever made. Never regretted it for a day. Never. The only regret I had, and it's what made my wedding bittersweet, even though it was a great time, it was probably the best dance floor anyone had ever seen because I curated that DJ list, is uh, the hall that we rented. It was like a barn. We didn't know. It just it, We assumed, but we didn't know that none of them would be there working. We assumed that when you rent the hall, you get like the... You know, the staff, to, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, you hired yeah. a caterer, there's catering staff there, but you assume there's like a point person that's orchestrating that. You, we didn't know that there wasn't until we got to the damn reception. So trying to be that and the and the uh, the, the groom who just spilt penne alavaca on his white vest, tie, and shirt <laughs> on the first bite. Yeah, Luke, that was me, okay? Uh, trying to navigate that while, yeah, it was it was a headache, okay? Thank you very much for Sorry, listening bro. to my story. All right, Luke, let's keep the shit going. Uh, you're already married. This isn't your wedding photo, but a lot of people DM me this and said, if you got in the best shape of your life right now, you could resurrect prime Luke, and this is what you would look like, Luke. Here's you potentially looking into a mirror. If this is some giant fat person, I'm going to kill you. No, okay. zoom in here, please. Let's zoom in on wow. all the videos here. Luke, that looks strikingly familiar. Yeah, his haircut is better than mine. BC, I guarantee that haircut doesn't cost $30. I'm just going to point oh, that, that out. Oh, that's, that's the famous Dubai barber who's like Salt Bay, basically. I'm sure it costs like you know, 25000 to sit there for you know. 10 minutes. I will minutes. say, show, show him one more time very quickly, very quickly. I will say that is a, uh, yeah, that's a distinguished gentleman. I got to say. I, I mean, look, that could be you, bro. What do you think? I'd have to lose another 50 pounds, which is possible, but yeah. Maybe. I, I have to admit, that guy's, his haircut's solid. I, I, you may need a, need a health condition to get that thin, Luke. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm working on it, bro. It's yeah, a fucking okay. struggle. I'm working on it. All right. Let's have fun. Let's hit the golf course, Luke. Uh, a lot of people still being influenced by uh, former tour member Happy Gilmore, Luke. Check out this drive. I mean, he crushed Damn. it. <laughs> First of all, why is he bent over like he just had a heart attack or learned terrible news? You know I, mean, I mean, that's got to be the most aggressive swing I've ever seen, Luke. That's just... Dude, and by the way, his hands... could they go, go back. Keep showing it. We're not done. <laughs> could his hands be further apart? Look at him. <laughs> He's got one hand halfway down the shaft of this thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know... I bet his first sexual experience ended in like two seconds, Luke. Oh, yeah. He, this is a three-pump chump, if ever there was. <laughs> All right. Speaking of those type of people, Luke, John Daly's still... Uh, Drawing large crowds to him being ridiculous. Check him out. Him hitting a tee shot off a uh, off a beer can. Like Bro, only... John Daly. I fucking love John Daly. <laughs> I mean, look at this piece of shit. He is unbelievable. So he one time called in. He was a guest on like my favorite radio station or radio show. Uh, show. Shouts to the junkies on 106.7 The Fan. And he was a guest one time. And he has some business where it's like. It's like not water, but it's like tasty water or whatever the fuck, you know. And, and they were like, why do you have this? Why don't you just drink water? He's like, man, I hate water. Water <laughs> tastes so bad. I just hate it. It's like, dude, this guy is like a golf savant who is an absolute real life version of Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah. It's fucking <laughs> dude, awesome. 
I, the only athlete I can compare him to who got to that level of both fame and accomplishment while being that much of like a POS is Tanya Harding. Like really, like they're like they're yeah. like one and one. Yeah. Luke. But even Tanya was like in Tanya was like in good physical condition. John yeah. Daly is a fat piece of trash. No, he crushed that and he drive. He's so too. good at golf. Dude, he, I mean, the, the stories on him are ridiculous, and they're probably all true, Luke. I mean, he is, he's interesting. Hey, Luke, check out this, uh, this tee-off here at this Top Golf. Watch this tee shot closely. we got to go full screen. Oh. Dude. Wait, that never happens. You ever have that happen with another guy? You mean tip to tip? <laughs> no. I'm... You forgot about tip to tip. Uh, no, well, You don't you know, bring I'm... it up hardly at all. You know, it's like it's like you know. I already put out my country record, my jazz record. Now, you know, now I'm going back to straight roots. So now you're roll, putting out your right? war machine record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's called from the can. Yeah. Okay, Luke. Uh, the bank is open on this golf shot, dude. I don't think this is trickery. I think this is legit. I don't know how many shots they had to do to to get it, but check out this dude perfect like bullshit. That damn. Wait, I don't get it. Did they hit? They they chip it in the air and then with the backspin it came backwards, or did it bounce no, they off just, something? They caromed it off that wall right there, dude. Oh, okay. Because I lost the ball in. I sorry, I lost the ball in the in the video. I couldn't follow it. Oh, You're like okay, once Michael Crabtree came it. around, I, you know, all the balls were gone. Suck yeah. those balls in. <laughs> okay, Luke. Big week for karate for defense purposes only. But let's go to karate combat. No mercy in this game, Luke, against defense. Good lord. Damn, my man's just chilling. That's like me at the beach. Look, ah. that's I think that's a grounded opponent, isn't it? I don't know the rules of karate combat, to be honest with you. They definitely have the coolest sets of anyone, but yeah. uh I don't know. I'm not I just don't have time for more karate. Sorry. But that backdrop is awesome. And I bet you I, I basically cool. compare karate combat to like the NHL. If you make me watch it, I'll probably love it, right? But I'm not gonna go out of my way. NHL playoffs. Yes. NHL playoffs. Those are yes. Good. Uh, speaking of karate combat, this is from a few weeks earlier. Uh, check out the, or maybe maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's from the same card. Check out this running slam, Luke. Oh, that was cool. Okay, I like that. That's super cool. I mean, they kind of took. Remember BKB pit boxing? They had like a circular area yes. with like the ramps. They kind of took that, but I like how they utilize the ramps in this game. Maybe I'll start. I gotta watching. say that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's like a All that's right. like a Showtime Pettis takedown. Yes. You know? Uh, let's go to these karate showmen, Luke. Bare knuckle. Shoots the arrow at him. You into that or what? I mean, they're just bouncing back and forth. Not really. And he's got okay. a UFC shorts on. Like, what's that all about? Who's this? All right. I can almost guarantee you won't be into this, Luke. When we talk about plain etiquette, right? This is the 1% that grinds your gears, Luke. I mean, just throw him off the motherfucking plane. <laughs> Who is this piece of motherfucking trash? Imagine if you found out that was KGB's trainer, Luke. I, I, listen, I'm not... Uh, this person is... Uh, whoever this person is with their feet up, I want to be clear about this. They should be on the FBI's most wanted list. <laughs> and I'll make this point, too. If this is two people where one person has their foot up and then another person is rubbing it lovingly, they should be executed by the authorities upon landing or just crash the motherfucking plane. Either way. Uh, I, I I don't disagree. I think it's, again, okay Dude, what's to wrong wear... with people that they think that that's okay? There's Seriously, a line. I... There's a line. I You can wear flip-flops on the plane. I do it in the summer. 
I think you could even take your flip-flops off as long no, as your you feet are stuffed under no, the chair no, you in can't. front of you. No, you can't. You can wear flip-flops on the plane. That's fine. Wait, Keep but can on. I with my with my uh, cauliflower toes? Can I? With, with your hammer toes and fungus <laughs> with, with, with germs the size of turtles? No, you cannot. They are a roadmap of my life, Luke, okay? Yeah, mine are too. I put socks on them. Uh, finally, Luke, you know that old saying, the party's where you're at? I love people who are like, I'm not in the club, but I'm going to pretend like I'm in the club right now, okay? Dude, they should fire you and make her my girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know how those officers are, are holding so firm, like they're like a palace guard in, you know, in uh, London or something. Look, that's dude. Uh, she's really just flopping those today's yeah. everywhere she can. Then she twerks on them. Let them know. Maybe, Let them maybe know, she lady. just works at a diner and they sell pancakes, Luke. And this is the best way to advertise. I don't know, but that's the shit of the week. Hope you saw it, Luke. Thank you. Wow, this two hours great. today. Two hours, right? Two full hours. Full hours. That is it. BC, remind the folks. Remind them what we have going on on Wednesday. So if you are if you uh, missed it earlier, Wednesday, our normal time for Morning Combat, 11 a.m. Eastern time on the YouTubes, youtube.com slash Morning Combat. Instead of a regular MK episode, you're getting the launch of our new interview series titled Red, uh, Red Shoe Diaries. God, that's a great Showtime vehicle. Room service diaries. You may know the the label in its pre, in its previous iteration of just reckless talk and ruthless comedy. Well, now we've taken that model and we've just inserted a UFC fighter. <laughs> Episode one: the light heavyweight champion of the world, Glover Teixeira. Uh, while we do have fun and games, you're gonna love the conversation that we have. Not only, of course, about coming up defending his title against Yuri Prohatska in Singapore, but we're just talking about one of the better backstories. Uh, of of who he became today that's that's very undertold because of Luke how much of a quiet badass this guy is i mean dude serious from hanging out with him for a couple hours like he's all that and then some as far as a real man right there I, you know you, I you would him. want him to be your neighbor uh, that yeah. was the vibe that i got you would want that guy in your neighborhood for sure you know indeed uh, Luke, uh, we, I, I asked him, like, do the, the the neighborhood kids like do they know you're a maniac and he said that they come over and ask him to show him things like, you know, different jabs or whatever. It's I cool. love that. I love that. I love that that Danbury has embraced him, that, you know, he he deserves it all. So check that out, Luke. We already have a another one that we filmed in the can, so people are going to enjoy that. And, Luke, I hope that they're just, uh, you know, they're different flavors every episode. It's like Fanta, you know? It's like, what's the uh, what's the soda that the Juggalos drink? Oh, uh, the red one, right? The uh, it's like no, but it's like it's like is it Fago? Fago, yeah, that's it. Something a, like that. It's a Michigan tradition. Like, uh, yeah. have you do you have you ever drink that that New Hampshire cola, Luke? What's it called? The uh, Moxie. You into that? Never had it. Oh, dude, I love Moxie. You got to try it. it. It could, you know, it, it's. Oh, hey, I got some breaking news. You want to hear it real quickly before we go? Yeah, I don't have any other jobs, Luke. Uh, Kane Velasquez, who had his, I think, his bond hearing today will remain behind bars. Uh, he was trying to get out, and, uh, you know, not that he would, he would still face, you know, trial and everything, but that he could be, like, let's say on house arrest or something. He will remain behind bars after Judge Shalina Brown denied a second request, excuse me, for bail, I should say, not bond, 
this morning, quote, this was such a reckless disregard for human life, end quote. So Cain Velasquez will, um, will remain behind bars. Look, according to reporting on Twitter from Nolan King of MMA Junkie, the official request from Velasquez's defense team was, uh, they said TBI and potential CTE caused Velasquez to act impulsively. So that is the, the, the attempt that the judge shot down. Whoa. That is. <clears throat> so wait, wait. Let me see if I understand this. That's Velasquez's own team saying that? Their defense was essentially, you know, it's not insanity, but, you know. TBI and potential CTE caused Velasquez to potentially act impulsively. Wow. So his own team is saying that the brain trauma from his MMA career caused him, or at least, you know, I don't know if not caused him, but uh, aided him or whatever you want to say the word is um, to act in the way that he did where he chased the guy down who he thought had uh, allegedly molested his son. Wow. What a terrible situation, bro. Ter- terrible. Terrible. Situation. Terrible. And I get everyone wearing free cane shirts and I get the whole, you know, molest. Uh, the whole dilemma that 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 the whole situation faces. I also get how reckless it was. I get it all. Look, it's sad. Yeah, that's it's what terrible. it is, you know. And I think, look, that's that's probably they summarized would be the best defense to try to get him free, correct? Whether they believed it or not. Right? Yes, I mean, I think I, I, they 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 seem to have come up with the best chance that that he had, but the judge apparently was not hearing it. I'll read up on it, but Nolan King is there, so <clears throat> be on the lookout for that. Uh, BC, want to remind everyone, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, go do something else. You've seen all the merch store ads, morningcombat.store, so you know where to go for all of that. Morningcombat at Gmail. So I guess, BC, we're going to push fan subs to Friday. Is that what's going to happen? I guess so, right? Yeah, why not? Well, it'll be a little bit different this week. We're foregoing our actual episode. We'll push fan subs, so we hit up the email for dead wrong or fan subs. There it is. Yep. Morningcombat at Gmail. Uh, F with our sponsors, too, Luke. Shout out. To uh, Athletic Greens, AG1, can't live without it. Shout out yep. to uh, NordVPN as well. We love them, Luke. Fair enough. Because uh, they protect us. All right. So be on the lookout for Wednesday's interview with Glover Teixeira, episode one of the brand new Room Service Diaries for CBS Sports, for Showtime, for Malka, for Brian Campbell, the official Viceroy of Connecticut. I'm Luke Thomas. We will see you when we see you. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.